Welcome to RSF episode 11, The Revolutionary Sports Front, your dirty, nasty, and controversial sports talk podcast for all things Detroit sports and sports worldwide. Here are your hosts, Tony, Joey, Frank, and Gerard, four lifelong friends born and raised in South Detroit. Good evening, episode 12, April in the D. Um, we got a big show today. We will be without our dear loved member, Joe. Uh, not his fault. We had some scheduling issues, but um, hopefully we'll, you'll be able to hear from him uh, in regards to the Red Wings throughout the week and some of our satellite things. Tony will tell you more about that later. But regardless, we uh, the show goes on, as they say, so we got a lot of things to discuss. Um, kind of bittersweet. It's a beautiful uh, April evening here in the D, and um, uh, at the same time, we've had a pretty disastrous occurrence with the Red Wings. They are gone. The Pistons are about to play in a few moments, and they're about to be gone, and we have no playoff teams left. Here in Detroit. We're going to talk about it. Um, we got the Red Wings, a lot of things in in depth with that. Reflect on the season, what we like, what we don't like. We're going to look forward. Um, We obviously have Datsuk, who's most likely leaving. We're going to talk some NFL drafts, uh, and also we got UFC 200 and Conor, Conor McGregor. Some big things going on with that. We'll turn to our UFC Nista and ourselves as well, and we got a three-man team. Point here, Tony. And we are uh, we're ready to roll. Let's let's get this thing going and start off with the wings. We'll also touch on the Pistons a little bit too, but they're pretty much dead in the water. So all right, Frankie, yeah, I like that you point out it's episode number twelve. That reminds me of my main man, Aaron Rodgers, number twelve. Another number I like to think of is eighty-eight for Patrick Kane, the great star from Chicago. And my man Frankie at the company golf outing yesterday got an 88. Proud of him. Breaking 90. Let's get a round of applause for Frankie. Well, thank you for that. That offsets your Rodgers comment. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's hey, get into I the did, Red Wings. I did fairly well. I may have shot a 120, but that's good for me because I suck at golf. Yeah, 120. That's about how many days we need to forget about this wing season personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, I mean, that, that wings game, honestly, I was just like, there's going to be a freak goal here. And... We've had all these great chances and we haven't got anything. We're gonna have some garbage goal go in and we're gonna like win this game one nothing or something. Was all I was thinking. And then Erickson watches them try to pass the puck to him and stands there and fucking watches as Tampa Bay just takes the puck and watches. Doesn't even try and go after the guy. Just watches he pass it right to the guy in front of the net to score. Well, let's get right into it. I mean, Tony, in case you didn't realize, he's referencing to Game 5 in which the Red Wings were eliminated by the Lightning. And uh, it was a hard-fought game, man. It was scoreless the whole way out. And like he said, it just uh, it came down to that one goal, and it was really deflating as a fan. I watched the whole thing, obviously, and uh, it, deflated, it deflated everyone. I mean, it was just one of those games where it truly felt like we were going to win and, and force a six and come back to Detroit and see what happens from there. They'd be playing tonight, actually, right about now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's sad. Looking back on it, do you guys think, real quick, uh, Mrazek was the best choice to go with in how, instead of Howard for the last three games? Yeah, I think Mrazek definitely put a lot better than Howard. It was just that you can't win games when you don't score more than two goals a game unless you do what you did in game three and you shut them out and win 2 nothing. And then you got Mrazek. He had some really great saves. He played really great defense. And Bishop stood on his head, and that's why they won. And actually, that was why I wanted to. Uh, I found I saw a tweet that night right after the game. It was from uh, Kim Coates, who, if you guys don't know who that is, he's an actor. He played. He was on Sons of Anarchy. Yes, Tony. I know. Yeah, Kim he's Coates also. Uh, yeah, he's also a Wings fan. But after the game, he tweeted, 
The hockey gods took the night off. Truly, no words how we lost this game. This one hurts. Gotta love sports for that deep pain in your gut. Which I thought I, that was really fitting. Cause I think it's fitting that he said deep feel. pain in your gut because that's honestly how I felt about, felt about the Wings all season. As we move forward, probably not talk about the Wings as much until we get back into them in the regular season. So I'm talking the season in general, guys. How do you think we did? Are you happy? Are you disappointed? Did you, is this how you thought it was going to go when you saw the roster at the beginning of the year? Well, to answer your first question, I, I do think that Mrazek was the be- a good fit. And, uh, you know, he stood in his head a few of those games. It could have been a lot worse. And uh, I think that, it, you know, who knows what would have happened if he would have started the entire series. I don't really like to play those games. but That's a dangerous game. It is I really don't even game, think about it, I mean, honestly. he did play really well. And none of those goals, in my opinion, were really his fault. But as far as the season's concerned, man, I think we can all agree that it was it was cool to make the playoffs. And it was also really frustrating. But, man... We're going to talk Holland in a little bit and talk about the future, but um, honestly, I, I didn't really like the season. I, I kind of tuned in about halfway to three-fourths of the way through and really tuned in with all you guys down the stretch when we started battling for that last spot, battling for that wild-card spot. And it was just frustrating, man. The games that we did win just weren't fun to watch. There wasn't many goals scored. We had prob- uh, problems with the power play, and it just wasn't we really, really pushed that whole cliche of getting in the playoffs to the extreme and barely got in. We even even lost the last game against the Rangers to, to you know, quote-unquote, win ourselves in. I don't think Back I, in, you mean? We back in, in yeah. We the, backed the, the into the playoffs. Just, I think you said it best, man. It was a frustrating season at all levels. Our power play wasn't very good. Our goaltending was up and down all season. But I'd like to – let's take a minute and think if we can think of three positives on the season moving forward. My – I got to go Larkin was positive. Anastio was positive. And I think that the Wings are going to be forced to make some big changes, which is positive based on last season's performance. Yeah, uh, I'll have to agree with you on, the, on Larkin being one of mine. Uh, when he scored that, that first goal that he scored, maybe it was the only one, that he scored uh, against Tampa Bay in, that, in the loss, I believe it was in game two, he, uh, he did a celebration. You could, you could see him saying, yeah, baby. You could see him lipping it. And he, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a like a dweeb or anything, but he really looked like he was into it, and I think he's just got the heart of a lion, and he's going to be a, a great Red Wing to come. So I Larkin, just wish you get more than five minutes a night. Right, and you mentioned Double A too, man. I think that kid's something special, and if they can get him some more playing time, a little more experience, he's going to be right up there with Larkin. And my third, um, I guess, as much as I like to joke around about Mantha, the, the eleven with eleven games left, and we brought him back, he looked big and fast and. Good with the puck, and I think he's going to be really good as well. So, I mean, there's some young talent. That's so that three young guns that give us a little hope for the future, right? Young talent, yep. Tony, what are your three positives on the season? Uh, well, first I was going to say, I mean, my season, it was kind of, uh, like you said, frustrating because there were times when you saw flashes of brilliance, and then there were times when you're like, what is this team doing? Who are they? I don't even think I know this team. I did follow the season pretty closely. I remember the first game when they blew out Toronto. And I'm like, all right, we blew out Babcock's team. There's all this talk about how Toronto was going to be a force this year, which they, of course, weren't. But it gave me a lot of hope for the year, and then you just kind of watch that fizzle away as the year went on. But then, I mean, my three positives, I would have to say Larkin, Double A, Anthony Sioux, and Mantha, you know, the young guys, because they're giving us hope for the future. That Sick take. We... Well, I'm, you, know, I mean, you know what, Tony, I hope for the future, but you know what we didn't? I just realized nobody no- mentioned anything about our defense, which is in a sad state of affairs yeah. ever since Lindstrom left. Well, and isn't that light. scary? 
right? I'm saying, well, like, I mean, Cronwell's clearly lost couldn't. a step. I think that suspension last year in the playoffs after that hit has really affected him because if you see him this year, he has chances to Cronwell guys and he pulls up because he doesn't want to get suspended. I don't think he has the ability to crown wall people anymore, Tony. I, I think we're going to disagree on that point. I don't think it has anything to do with the rules. I think that he'd still hit somebody if he could. I think the problem is he's too old and too slow, and that's really sad. Yeah, well, so uh, are a bunch of them, man. I mean, you said dislikes. I'll just start it off, and then we'll go around. But I think one of my dislikes is defense. We don't have a, a good, enough right, good enough right-handed shots at the point. If you notice during this series, especially a lot of our shots weren't getting through. I talked about that last show. There's no more. You don't need to talk about it anymore. Defense, uh, two is the lack of productivity in, in, the, in goal scoring. Like I said, even games we won were ugly 2-1, 3-2 victories type. Uh, You're doing that with Babcock, though, too. That was part of the reason that everybody wanted Blaschel was Blaschel had this high-powered offense in Grand Rapids. But the problem is we don't have personnel. We don't have the defense that can stay back there and withstand a 3-on-2 rush. We have to keep one of our forwards higher in the offensive zone. So that way we, they, we don't give up odd man rushes. Yeah, we're not very good right now. Tony, we were a wild card team that got bounced in five in the first round. I'm not happy about it either, brother. I'm with you 100%. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the defense is a bad, a bad problem, the lack of scoring, and um, also the personnel, man. We'll get into this too, is the, the contracts. you got guys that are getting paid way too much for way too long and and have mysterious and clauses in their way contract too and producing way too little. There's mysterious clauses in their contracts. And it just comes down to Ken Holland, a man who we once envied and now are really starting to question who is, you know, put all this investment into these players throughout past 2020, many of them, and they just ain't getting, getting it done and they're not cutting it. So I like that you brought the contracts, Frankie. Let's, let's name off some bad contracts at the top of our heads right here. I'm going to look it up. Line them up. Like, literally off of the top of our head. We got Datsuks, which is going to be bad because he's retiring. Zetterberg, Franzen, Howard. Who else has a bad con- Erickson is through 2020 or 2021. Uh, I think Nyquist has got a pretty bad one now. Now looking at it pretty hard, it's bad. Um, so we, you said Erickson, we right? We can name like, that's yeah. seven of the top of our heads without even looking. So seven. But I mean, how, how many people start on a hockey team? Three lines of five, and then you have the goalie. Four lines of five. Sure. So you have around 20 people, and we have half of our starting lineup has bad contracts now. Yeah, it, it's That's bad contracts. Well, I mean, usually run. It's a, it's a dumpster fire. Twelve forwards and oh, six not, defensemen. The point I was making. What I'm saying goal. is, almost half of our team out there is on horrible contracts. So now we have Holland that needs to get done with less money and worse people, and Dadzuk's gone. But at the same time, when Holland was signing these guys to these contracts, for the most part, we were happy with him because Zetterberg was producing great, Franzen was producing great, Dadzuk was producing great. Erickson seemed to have a pretty good year, and he seemed to be improving. I never have personally bought into the whole Erickson thing. I don't, did you guys? I never really saw him well, he as was a, a good, top-tier defender. Erickson isn't it. The only reason he's getting exposed, Erickson can play on the third unit and be just fine. He, and he's, he's fine enough for a third You guys are forgetting about how Well, that was the thing. He was producing well on the third unit, and people thought he was going to continue to grow and become a well, he didn't. You know, yeah, top-tier he didn't. defenseman. I'm with you there. Then, he yeah, just but, didn't. but a lot of these contracts started or became to be thought of all these players so good. you got to realize we lost some guys years back. We had defensemen like Lindstrom and Rafalski. Okay, yeah. we, had, uh, we had other players. We got rid of hosts. The dude, when the, back in 2009, which seems... Doesn't seem that long ago, but it really was. Think about what you were doing in 2009, 2008. Seven years ago, yeah. yeah. A long time. It makes us feel a little old, doesn't it, boys? But those contracts derived Walk around state drunk. 
those those contracts derived some of them back then, and they just thought that these players were just going to keep going to the finals every year, and it just gotten worse and worse and worse. And change has to be made. This is the closest we could have possibly came to not making the playoffs and being almost embarrassing as far as playoff caliber teams are was this year. We barely we got in with a loss in the last game of the season against a team that got destroyed by Pittsburgh. Also, we barely got in, and it was disgraceful. Uh, we're talking about the contracts. They had a chance where they could have bought out Franz, and there's some kind of buyout policy with a new thing, or I don't know what the title take. Put them on waivers or something like that. We could have gotten rid of Franz in contract a couple years ago, and we just didn't. Holland just ate it. Thought he was coming back, and he's not going to play hockey ever again, right? He's done. Uh, our best hope could be the Pronger scenario, where we just pay him out until his contract's up in the IR thing. Chris Pronger did that. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it's, it's still just, bad. Well, I mean, if he's on long-term IR still for the concussions, he doesn't count against his cap, which is good for us. But at the same time, it was one of those where when he signed the contract, he's producing really well. So, I mean, we thought it was a good contract. And Hosa was playing well, and it was kind of we signed him over Hosa. And we, oh, we, we threw a pretty good sum of money at Hosa. He made the right choice. Hosa saw what Howland obviously didn't see, and that was the Blackhawks were up and coming, and we were on the decline. Because we offered, I think, yeah, thirty four million over six years, and the Blackhawks came in at like thirty seven over five or something. It was about the same amount of money. We could have, and Hosta still got it on the side. In a note. sense, yeah. Well, it was a boneheaded move, but in a sense, it it came down to who we wanted, Franz and her Hosta. I mean, Hosta did want a little bit more. We threw something at him, but we could have had Hosta if we wanted to. We just would have had to get rid of Franz. And then looking, like you said, looking back, I would rather have. Speaking Hosa. of Hosta, makes me think of Chicago. And just so Hindsight's you know, remember twenty twenty. You remember our Larkin Panera bread debate. The bread man is the truth, and he's better than Larkin, and that can be proven once for all. If you watch the Chicago series versus Minnesota, which they came back right, after. No one wants to hear that right okay. now, Gerard. Chicago's playing the Blues. Who would, who would want to hear that right now? My bad. Okay, okay back to the – so more any more dislikes we have? Because, I mean, I could go on forever, but any dislikes? Yeah, uh, well, you could say goaltending. Uh, we're paying two of them, and, I mean, one of them's 24, one of them's over 30, Howard, and he's getting paid – what is it? Five million dollars a year, six thousand yeah, twenty or something well, like that. It's five million a year, and I mean, if you look at the Wings goaltender situation going into this year, it's like, oh hey, you have two goaltenders for six million dollars and a, a six million dollar cap hit combined between the two. Well, the problem with that was, was yeah, Mrazek was only getting like a million last year, but he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer, meaning we're now also going to have to pay him. Which, I mean, the fact that he had a little bit of a meltdown there at the end of the year could help because it might make teams a little wary of where he could play at in the future. But he's going to have some teams possibly throwing some serious money at him as well. And we may have to have two goaltenders that were paying $5 million each. If you put a little better defensive for Mrazic, he'd be an all-star goalie, in my opinion. And I think we need yeah, to figure definitely. out some way. to We're going to have to keep him. Or else, we're, I mean, we're going back to square run. It's going to be uglier than what you would think next year if we don't keep Mrazic in free agency this summer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he. I think the part of the reason why he did get rattled there at the end is because of the lack of defense. I mean, he was playing outstanding in a lot of those wins that we were getting when only a few goals were being scored against us. And, uh, you know, if he cr- when he kind of crumbled, it just kind of came tumbling down fast. So, But, yeah, I, I think Mrazic will be okay. And the goaltending is one of the dislikes, and there is other ones. But I think I'd rather gear towards – more of the the contracts real quick and, and Ken Holland in the future if we, if we could. Well, you want to move to the future now? We're done with our likes and dislikes. I can understand that. Let's look to the future. Okay, here's the big question that's going around in Detroit for those of our listeners that aren't listening to Detroit Sports Radio. Is it time to fire Holland? After all his greatness, he's brought us four cups, led us through to the salary cap era and the non-salary cap era, 
the rushing five is largely in part to him. Do we get rid of Holland and do we bring Stevie Y in? And do you guys think Stevie Y would come? Uh, well, that's a lot of good questions. Um, well, let's just start with, do I think he should get fired? And if the, if the question would be this year, I'd say no. Um, I think that this year is definitely going to have to be a wake-up call for him because it could happen in the, in the year following because uh, I don't know about you guys or anybody out there in listener land, but I really don't want to go to this, this sweet new arena that everyone's talking about in 2017 to watch a lot of these guys play. And uh, besides the young ones, you know, and maybe Zetterberg just out there as a, as a veteran leadership kind of role and, and guys like that, but uh, this kind of product and this team – isn't cutting it and this getting to the playoffs and just, you know, instead of it being like we want Stanley, we and as opposed to we want the playoffs that it's uh, evolved into now, it's not going to cut it anymore. And I think that if you're a true fan or if you're just logical and smart in any way about sports and hockey specifically, uh, you know, it's time to start to start being what we're supposed to be with Holland and the Red Wings organization or else it's time for a change. I think he's got one more year and that's this one last year that we got at the Joe. I agree with you. I don't think it's time. I think he got us into this mess. We have to give him a chance to get us out. And, like, we didn't see it necessarily coming soon enough. But even at the beginning of the season, we knew that it was going to be a rough year. Sports Illustrated projected him to finish ninth in the East. He should have seen this coming in advance. That's what he's paid to do. But he's got a chance to fix it now for us. He can move some of these contracts around. Dude, I don't know how to do it can specifically. He, though? Yeah, can but he? if he doesn't, he's got to be gone next year. If he, I'm not saying we even – making the playoffs next year, I don't even care about whether or not for keeping his job. But if he doesn't make some serious moves, try to get some free agents here, some trades – Wheel and deal some of these guys. Nyquist probably has to go. He's gone next year. And that's just that how it's got to be. Yeah, I, I, think so. I definitely think you give him a chance to fix this. But then it's if we're moving into a new building and our team isn't improving, well, it's time to have a new building and a new GM. And they got to bring these young guys up and let them fucking play, honestly. I'm sorry. I don't want to yeah, be I mean, brash, but Mantha's got to be up for 82 games. He's a big, fast, physical forward. Keeping him down in Grand Rapids isn't doing him any good at all. If he's going to make him in the NHL, we got to bring him up. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with them bringing him up in the last 11 games at all. I mean, I was joking around with Joe about it a little, a little bit, but, I mean, he, the guy obviously can play. But I just don't see why I bring him up and send him back. Uh, Anderson didn't do a damn thing in that series, and I don't – I mean, if you're just going to get him in there for the purposes, I, I, you know, coaches like to talk about. I don't, I don't. I'm not ready to pull the plug on Blashill yet either. But I mean, Mantha should have played. Mantha's got to play. I think Olat should get some playing time. Maybe they got to play Larkin more minutes a game. It's these young it's, kids' team yeah. now. We're going to be a young, fast, furious team. We got these old guys out here who, honestly, Zetterberg and Datsu can't really even skate with the people in the NHL anymore. It's a sad state of affairs. But speak for Zetterberg. Datsu could play till he's a hundred. Because of his handles, but Zetterberg doesn't really belong. I mean, your captain should be your best player. Zetterberg, like I said, a veteran leadership role. Zetterberg will be fine. Maybe even Cronwall too. But it's it, we got to put more pieces in play. And Ken Holland's got a lot of work to do. I think his job starts yesterday or the day that we, the day, second we got eliminated, his job started because he is under you know he's under big time supervise. Uh, that, that there's nothing more you can say. He's under probation, in my mind. Yeah, he's, he's got to be on probation. He's got to make some serious moves. This Double summer. secret probation. He's got a freaking... Obviously, we're going to for Stamkos, but everybody is. We're probably going to land him, but we got to find some free agents. No more of this freaking... Don't give me, sell me Brad Richards as a freaking savior because he's good in the playoffs. All right, Krasik was big on him. I, bet I, I wish I could rip on him in this very second. I hope his ears are burning. Richards didn't do shit this year for us. Not a damn thing. He wasn't worth a fiddler's fuck. No, he he wasn't very good. But well, I mean, a lot of the, there's a lot of names out there. We'll save that for when Joe comes back. We'll talk about that's more off season stuff. 
It's more of just the big picture. We're going to have to get some stuff. So done. we can all agree Holland shouldn't get fired now, but he's got to fix this this summer. Yeah, and on the Blashill thing, I mean, I get what he's doing. He's a first-year coach, and his thinking is these veterans have been here before. They have the experience. They're not going to wilt under the pressure. But the problem is is that they've lost a step. And, yeah, it may not look great, and there may be huge mental mistakes out there, but that's how the rookies learn. You had a team that you were pretty sure was not going to win the cup. So you put those rookies out there. You get in the ice time, trial by fire. They're going to learn it sooner or later. And it's better to learn now when we don't have a shot than we have a pretty good team that has a shot and they end up costing us a cup because they don't have that experience under their belt. The thing is, I don't know if these young kids can even get us to a cup, but I'm never going to know as long as they never keep playing. I get Blashill also has to keep the locker room in check. It's his first year. He can't come in and shake too many things up. But I was honestly excited to see what he could do, and he was a disappointment in the first season. I think you guys can agree with that. Yeah, I can agree, and I just wanted to make one more point about what you guys are talking about with the personnel because you brought it up. I'm not sure if we can win with some of these young guys either, but we're going to need to bring in some guys who not only aren't, aren't so soft – but who can score? I mean, Larkin, I'll give you that because he, he missed the breakaway last game. But there's half this team can't even score on a breakaway. As yeah. I know Bishop played good and he was one of the top five. But, I mean, man, a lot of these guys, they're shooting the puck and they're hitting the chest and they're trying to go five home and just the paddles. They're, they're, they can't score on breakaways. There was four breakaways last game. Could have easily changed the game. And Helm's not even getting the puck off the ice. He can't release the puck quick enough. And these guys are young and fast. They don't get tired. But they, if you can't score, you can't win, man. We don't have story of the knowledge year. of the inside workings. But Nyquist should if have been score, traded about a win. season. Great insight, Frank. Well, how many we goals did they score? Eight. Zero. I forgot oh, about the wings. Game. Yeah, eight in the series, zero in that game. Jesus Christ, they're horrible. But uh, Nyquist should have been traded a year and a half ago, in my opinion, when he still had some worth. We probably can't even get rid of him now. Yeah, and we've he's, covered that. Yeah, he's terrible. Frank's getting frustrated here. I mean, I'm frustrated. The Wings, I think, let's sum it up. In th- uh, I'm going to give, th- let's go all three words for the Wings season, and then we're going to take a little break, and we'll get back into it and do our little ode to Datsuk as he leaves us. My three words, frustration, disappointment, and hope. Well, I mean, I'll say frustrating. Um, I'll say disappointing as well, I guess, and I won't. I'll just take the wait and see on the third, man. I don't even know. I can't even come up with three words. I just, I'm just i more disgusted. I'll say disgusted. I was disgusted with that last That's box. a strong word. Frank's really disgusted, except for on the bar, at the bar on Friday night. But, Tony? <laughs> Frank's uh, visibly upset at this point. I'm just thinking about Nyquist. But. It's a bum. Tony, S- let's get three words from you, buddy. Stomach-nodding frustration. Stomach-nodding frustration. Because it's so like many play attention in English class. I mean, I'm just saying your stomach's like in knots watching this team in the playoffs because they have so many chances and they blow it, and you're just like, oh my god, they had another chance they blew, and then you watch that, like we said, we watch that goal go in, and you're like, you had all those chances, and if you were converted one of them, it could have been a completely different game. Yep. And then you just decide to take off 30 seconds. Of the game, you decide, ah, oh, we're going to take a 30-second break here while we're on the ice, and oh, there's the goal, and we fucking lose one nothing, and we're out of the playoffs. Time to go get the golf clubs ready. Yeah, uh, you know what? And I can really, honest to God, I can feel my blood pressure getting higher. The, the, the Red Wings, rest in peace. It was a good season. We're going to talk about, th- sorry, guys, we're going to talk about Datsuk and uh, number 13, man. He he's, looks like, you know, unless something crazy happens, he's gone, and uh, we want to talk about some memories and... 
just what we think about all that. So, all right, we'll be back in two minutes to talk about Datsuk RSF. All right, we're back. Um, just got done covering some Red Wing stuff. Uh, RSF, RIP. Uh, to the wings. We're going to talk in about the competition. We're going to talk about uh, Pavel Datsuk. He uh, more than likely is going to be gone. Uh, as a Red Wing forever. We've seen him in his in his last game, most likely, in that loss against Tampa Bay. And honestly, man, I mean, I know all of us are sad, but I'm really uh, bummed out by it. I, we, we just lost Megatron in this city, and now we're losing another great athlete in Datsuk, man. And, uh, you know, I, I've been on record saying I think Datsuk could play into the Yager age, you know, into his 40s if he really wanted to. We hear about his 13-year-old daughter over in Russia. He's probably going to play a year or two over in in uh, that neck of the woods, which is fine. You know, he doesn't owe us anything more, I don't think. I'm, I've come to terms with it, and we've all dealt with it uh, in our own way. I sound like I'm saying a eulogy, which I kind of am. But, uh, yeah, Dadsuk is the man. I think we should just, for this show's purposes, we don't want to sound too depressing. I mean, he's gone. We saw the handshake. Everybody, everyone teared up, whatever they did. Uh, let's look at the happy moments. You know, everyone's got their favorite memory. I got a few. I've been thinking about it throughout the show. I'm narrowing it down to my favorite one. We'll go around and just kind of give a give a shout out to old number thirteen, Magic Man, and and just kind of give him some daps in this in this show for the, probably the last time, but as a Red Wing at least. You know, when it snares like this, Frank, I get why people are sad. But instead of being sad that it's over, I like to be happy that it happened and live in the moments that we had with him. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, won the Selkie Award as the best defensive offensive player. Yeah, three years in a row, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. He led the league in plus minus in two thousand eight. He was voted by his peers, hardest to take the puck off, cleanest player, smartest player, most difficult to play against, hardest to take the puck from, most difficult to stop, toughest forward to play against. I mean, these are his players giving him those things. He had a great career. Oh, for freaking what he played started in 2001 for the Wings, went to 2016. He had 314 goals, 604 assists in the league, total of 918 points. And two cups. He's a great player, man. I'm going to miss him, but, you know, at least we had to see one of the greatest do in our city for over a decade. I mean, that's one thing with being a Wings fan is you'll see a lot of the greatest players, you know, of the last, I'd say, 30 years. We've seen some of the greatest players in the league. Man, all those years he has 228 penalty minutes, too. That's got to be some kind of record. Yeah, he he was a, he was a very honest and, you know, loyal and decent guy, man. He... On the ice and off the ice. I wish he just spoke a little better English. He's actually got quite the sense of humor. We just can't really understand what the heck he's saying a lot of the time, which <laughs> yeah, is funny true. in itself. But If you get yeah. a chance, fans, YouTube, like Pavel Datsuk talking to the media, get yourself a nice little laugh and maybe remind us how great the man was. I mean, dude, he had such a unique, or he has such a unique skill set. And for the way he played two ways, I think, I mean, it's not even just being biased from being a Wings fan. I think he was one of, if not the best two-way players ever in the history of the sport. His ability to take the puck from other people without their knowledge is what separates him, I think, when you're saying the, one of the best. He's definitely a top five two-way player of all time. I don't think there's even a question. And not because, like, some forwards are big and physical, so they'll get up on you, they'll take the puck, and they'll skate away. Datsuk was creepily good. He would come up. You wouldn't even know he was there. That's why he's called the magic man. All of a sudden, he had the puck. He'd be going the other way. The offensive player for the other team would be thinking, they saw the puck, they wouldn't even know what's gone. It's like somebody stole his laundry. Yeah, I mean... Probably for me, when talking about favorite memories of Datsuk, it's got to be the two cups that he's won. I mean, he was on the two kids in an old goat line with uh, Brett Hall when he was a rookie in 2002 <sighs> when we won that cup. 
with that all-star team. And everybody's talking about, you know, Iserman, Lidstrom, Robitaille, Brett Hall, all these guys that were hostile, like all these guys were going to be future Hall of Famers. And dads who could hang with them at that young of an age. It was crazy yeah. watching that. And the funny thing is now we're looking at a team going, and we didn't even talk about Datsuk, and now he's going to be a Hall of Famer as well. And he got us that second cup in 08, which was awesome. And he's given us so many great plays and highlight reels. And, I mean, I'm definitely going to miss him out there because, like you said, he had the, he was a great defensive forward as well. And he created so many scoring chances because of his ability to uh, back check and get those takeaways. I have, looking back on Datsuk, I like to think about how he won all those Lady Bings. And I was watching the game at your house, actually, Frankie, your parents' house back in the day. It, we were playing the Ducks to open the season. I believe it was 2010 season. And at the end of the game, he fought Chris Pronger and got into a scuffle with him. So he has 10 minutes. So, yeah, because he didn't win the Lady Bing in 2010. That was the year. And they're talking, he's coming a four-year streak of the Lady Bing. And he just... Got in a fight with Pronger. This little guy just didn't care. That's how tough he was. He just was down to bang with anybody. He was down to take the puck from anybody, and he could score on anybody, skate around anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to pick, man. That was a great – I remember that moment, by the way. That was, that was awesome. He held his own, too. We won 4-3 to three or 4-1. to one. Yeah. Um, it's hard to pick, but, I mean, honestly, I was in true amazement. I remember it was the, the shootout game. We ended up losing the damn game, which is – which is funny enough, but it was such an amazing shootout goal against the Blackhawks where he dipped the puck back and flicked it over and flicked it over. I believe it was uh, Crawford's head. Yeah, yeah. It's like a slow motion goal. He popped it over his head. And it's not only just that it was an amazing move, because I think the move had been done once before by another player, but it was an incredible move. But I went back and rewatched it because I I do things like in over and over again. I'm kind of a psychotic when it comes to those kind of things, I watch kind of? things over and over again. Is that a clinical? And diagnosis? I just watched. I watched the uh, the fan reaction to the to the move in the goal because he made the move and he dipped it back and he flicked it up and it was just in slow mo. All the fans just their heads looked up and they just looked so shocked, like what is this guy doing? And they just watched it and they went in and they all just went nuts when the puck went in the net. And it was just an amazing goal. It was an amazing moment. He, was, he didn't even celebrate or grab the ice like a lot of these guys do. He just just skated off and what, just that's sat down. It was really separates Datsuk in my mind from other players like he was literally a highlight reel of a player but he also had that workman likes attitude that many players are highly Ovechkin obviously is a highlight reel but you're gonna see him playing the defense Datsuk play just crazy to see a man who literally at any second can take a play and make it amazing also grind it on defense like he did my favorite play I think we'll all remember this I think we were watching in this house Frank was against Nashville maybe 18 seconds left in the game total yeah I thought about it was a offsides play we thought Man, they're going overtime. It's tied 3-3, I believe. Pecorini is a great goalie. They had Suter on defense still. We get the puck. They win the faceoff. Then Datsu comes around, takes it off the Nashville guy, jukes one guy. Now he's got Suter in his waist still before even Pecorini. Clock's ticking down. 10, 9, 8. He just makes one move to get just enough space to take the shot right over Pecorini's shoulder. And he scored with like 12 seconds left. There's 12 total seconds left and this whole play happened. And it just spoke to his greatness. He was one player that could separate from everybody else when he really, really got out there and got after it. Yeah, that was incredible. Are you talking about the one where the faceoff was outside the zone? Yeah, it's outside the zone. Was it yeah, that was actually that was an incredible play from Lindstrom to Zetterberg to Datsuk actually to make that happen. And that was an amazing. Everyone went nuts. That's a good one. That, that crossed my mind. And another one that was good was against Chicago. He, I think he picked it. It was either Taves or Kane. We were down one nothing in the game. It was like a Sunday afternoon game. He just picked uh, either Taines or Caves pocket, went right around Duncan Keith. About four seconds left? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just, 
I mean, the guy's incredible, man. Honestly, I'm almost about to tear up at this point. I haven't cried in yeah. years, man. <laughs> I'm going to miss him. I mean, there was one, it was, I'm pretty sure it was in the playoffs against the Flames where the goaltender came out of the net to play the puck. And when they went to pass it, he just picked it off and puts it in the empty net. And it was just like the goal, the goalie was not expecting him to come out there. And he just came out and he grabbed that puck, put it in the net. There's another one I think that he scored where he just kind of flipped the puck from uh, behind the net almost and hit the goal goalie in the back and it bounced off the goalie's back right into the net. And, I mean, those are just a couple of the goals that I'm thinking about off the top of my head as well because – I, we, we could so literally ready. just – I would go on this list forever. I'm sorry yeah. for boring any of our listeners out there. But if you want to see some of the greatest highlights ever, just Google Datsuk. I mean, it's lucky we have 2016. We can Google it. I'm going to miss him. He was a we, great guy, man. We came of our sporting age right around the time that he started tearing it up. Like, I remember 97 and 98. They was great. But, like, really understanding sports happens, like, when you're 13 or 14-year-old as a kid and you start losing out on the field yourself. And Datsuk was, like, an idol to anybody who played hockey. He had to be – he was Patrick Kane's idol. He was, Frank was probably watching him. When he was skating around the KFC line. Yeah, I, I love him. I love the man. I love him, too. You know what I don't love? Losing the playoffs to LeBron, and that's what we're going to talk about next. That buzz is because the Pistons are still in the playoffs, but they're about to get swept here in about 15 minutes Eastern Central time. Or actually, the game should already be going on, but we got our Pistons. They're probably going to get swept by the Cavaliers, but it's been a close series, one of the closer series in the NBA. We're just going to take a quick second. Because this is a team on the up and rise. We'll have more for them next year. But how do you think the Pistons did this year? Are you happy with it? Could you care less? Are you disappointed? I mean, I don't really follow the Pistons closely. But at the same time, I always like to see, you know, Detroit teams doing well. So it's good to see them get back in the playoffs after all these years. I did see that highlight video where uh, Drummond kind of threw an elbow and caught LeBron in the neck with it. And neck, uh, He caught LeBron in the neck with an elbow and dropped him. So that was uh, pretty good, kind of showing that, yeah, I mean, LeBron's, you know, the king and everything for right now, but the Pistons are that up-and-coming team. It's kind of like we were talking about the other time where in basketball you kind of got to beat these great teams or play them tough to kind of move on and step up. Yeah, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So you're happy with the season, right, Tony? Yeah, I'm happy with it. I mean, they're back in the playoffs. How are you feeling about it, Frankie? I'd love it if they could get a win here and not get swept, but we'll see. So it seems like Van Gundy is the guy. Uh, you know, it seems like he's gonna, he's gonna be the one that's gonna be around for a while and teach these guys how to how to win. So I like that. You know, good for them. Uh, it seems that they've got some guys who seem to give a damn because if you watch, they're down three zero right now, and whether it be the two losses in Cleveland or the one they were all close, and then the one in Detroit, these guys are out there hustling. They're busting their their tails off against guys like LeBron and Kyrie and. They're fighting until the very end. They're just not good enough to, to beat you know the, the team of the caliber of the Cavaliers. So I like that they're trying. And uh, I like that everyone's happy. Like Tony said, I don't watch it very much. But I, I like that they're doing good. They will be uh, killed tonight. They will be swept. I'll just guarantee that uh, right now. But um, you know, they're good for them for making the playoffs. And it seems like everyone's happy and there's going to be a promising future. And they finally got a guy with a head on their shoulders who can coach. And if you listen to some of those... I actually did watch the last game. If you listen to some of those in-game pump-up speeches that Van Gundy's given these guys, it's uh, it's pretty intense. And as a, a fellow motivator, I, I envy that as a as a coach. Some of these guys are just puppets, you know. And guys like LeBron are coaching the freaking teams. It seems like, but Van Gundy, um, he runs the show. So good for them. Yeah, that's a really good perspective, Frank and Tony. I think I did pay close attention and watch games two and three and. 
they're good. I mean, they're honestly, they would be up in game two, they were up 10 points, and then their bench players came in. And Stanley Johnson's hanging with LeBron, which I'm actually really proud of because I didn't like Stanley Johnson coming out of college. But you got Steve Blake out there at point guard. You don't have any backup big men that are worth anything. As in Steve Blake, yes, he's still in the league. <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't be in the league, let alone on a playoff team. You know, we're a couple solid bench players, and Tobias Harris improving and actually being a leader on this team away from making a deep run in the playoffs. Like, if we got a solid backup point guard, solid backup big man, or Baines gets better, and then freaking Tobias Harris can live up to his potential is what we traded him for, because he's looked like crap this series. I'd like to just point that out. We can really do it, so I'm happy, but I'm also a little weary because this whole thing could turn on its head with Andre Drummond becoming a free agent, but we'll talk about NBA free agency in a later date. So we're going to watch this game here. You know, we'll see what the Pistons can do. Hopefully they can get a win. But I think it was a positive season for them to be back in the playoffs. It's experience you need as a young team. It's a young, growing team. Our nucleus is young. That's a good thing. Tobias is young. Andre's young. Reggie's young. Let's, it's going to be exciting going forward. It's great to have basketball back. Hopefully they move them downtown. And now we're going to ta- start talking about the NFL drafts right after we take another quick break after that short segment, RSF. All right, we are back with the NFL draft coming up one week away. Big day happening in Chicago, and we also have more trade news. The Eagles have moved up to number two. I mean, they're probably taking a quarterback. Sam Bradford's probably a little pissed off. The Browns moved down. So it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that it's going to be Goff, Wentz, or Wentz, Goff in one of those two orders. I just want to know what you guys' opinion. Do you think, who would you take first, Jared Goff, Wentz, or neither? Neither. I mean, I don't really think there's a solid... Uh, quarterback in this class where you'd want to be taking them one overall. But there's definitely a lot of uh, good players on the defensive and offensive lines that you could take with the number one overall pick. You know, it's maybe not as uh, flashy and sexy of a pick, but it's about guys that are going to be a good value for you and be that cornerstone of your organization for the next The rough part about it is, like, you don't trade up like that unless you're trading for a quarterback. So I agree with you. I agree with the Nita prospect, but we know they are going to take a quarterback. But this is our opinion. Frank, what do you got here? Would you take one of these two quarterbacks? Yeah, you mentioned the choices of being one of the two gentlemen or or neither. I'm going to just say either. Uh, So I think that... Oh, I I like it. I think either way, you're taking a risk with both these guys. They They have different skill sets. You know, one's more uh, big and athletic. The other one's, I think, is a better pocket passer. But either way, you're taking a risk. And I, we talked about this a little bit last show uh, when it came in, as it pertained to the the L.A. Rams and their upcoming start. Um, you know, you take a gamble, and this is how you start off. You know, you gotta you got to get a quarterback while he's young, develop him, and not have to pay him a buttload like we're paying Stafford and, and guys like that because this is the new NFL. Yeah, but the this reason the we're paying cap. Stafford a buttload is because we drafted him number one overall. Yeah, but he's saying... Right. Um, that's not what I was getting at, Tony, but thank you. But, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I would agree with... I actually like Frank's either point. I reason said neither, but, Frank, that was a really good point with the either because you know they're going to take quarterbacks, so you might as well get off the neither train. So we're going to have to go... Like They're honestly the same, in my opinion. They're decent quarterbacks. One of them might be a little bit better here and there. we got Wentz a little bit better as a pocket passer, and Goff's a little more athletic. But Goff was a lot of pick, and Wentz has only thrown on 25% of his drop back. So what do we really have here? Wentz is like the big kid. Yeah, I mean, but Wentz has only thrown like 600 career passes in college. That's still, I can't believe he's going to go number two in the draft. He's only 600 passes. I said this before, and I know it's because I'm a state fan, but these teams trading up, Connor Cook's going to be there at 15 where they were already at, the LA Rams were at. Connor Cook's not as flashy as Jared Goff, 
but he's probably I I would bet right now that he has just as good of a pro career, and that might mean that they both suck and are out of the league in three years. But Goff and Connor Cook are pretty much the same quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm real quick. I'm glad you said that because as much as I dislike State and their quarterbacks at any level in any way, uh, I think you're right. You know, I go. I think you're. Uh, I think you're right on that one. It's just. It's almost eerily similar to the uh, the situation over there in what was it in Washington? How you know they ended up taking two quarterbacks and they got your boy later and Captain? He ended, and he ended up being and he Kirk ended up Cousins? being better. I think whoever ends up getting getting uh, what's, his, what's his name? Wentz? No, the quarter state skates quarterback Connor just, Cook. Connor Cook. Whoever ends up getting him, it's going to get him way later. And he's going to be just as equal, yeah, if not better value. You know what yeah, I'm I was going to say Mel Kuyper actually was talking about, like, uh, it's probably going to be Goff and Wentz, like, one and two. Paxton Lynch the next, somewhere when, later Paxton on. Paxton Lynch possibly well, Kuyper said the, it, it must be true. He's an idiot. but I mean, Kuyper's an boom. idiot, the but at the same time. On, uh, screw him. NFL, you, if you want to look at the Matra yourself, you can just go to NFL.com. They have a whole bunch of them. But here they got uh, Paxton Lynch going around 20 to the Jets. But pretty much the next team that needs – let's see who needs a quarterback after that that might take him. Okay, we're going to – Chargers don't need a quarterback. They might. But the Cowboys, not really that high. Jags, all these teams, fucking Baltimore, 49ers, they kind of need a quarterback, but not at that level. But it's just not going to work. Like, Paxton Lynch is next, so we've got Connor Cook coming on the board fourth, and he's arguably just as good as these guys. Actually, they're saying uh, Connor Cook might be the fifth quarterback off the Who board. the hell is going – Christian Hackenberg, Penn State. Because he, he had that great freshman year with Bill O'Brien, and then James Franklin came in and he went downhill. And there's a lot of talk that if he gets a good quarterback yeah, he, coach, I mean, the, he could become a the Texans solid do need a quarterback pro. at 22 on this mock draft. They haven't taken Will Fuller, I think, I believe he was number six receiver for uh, Notre Dame. So I don't know. Okay, so let's move it on in the draft. Let's we're, we can't cover every pick. It's impossible. There's seven rounds, mm-hmm. 32 picks around besides the first round because the Patriots lost one. This one is just kind of a question. It's a matter of opinion. So at three and four, they pretty much have, you could take, most people have Larry Tunsil just penciled in the offensive Laramie. tackle from Laramie Tunsil. Sorry, I can't read. From Mississippi. Or they have Jalen Ramsey in the comparison. Some people say Jalen Ramsey, the cornerback from Florida State, is the best, best athlete in the draft. Just a matter of opinion. You're building a team. Would you rather have a solid offensive tackle or a lockdown corner? Like, if you, like, because the Chargers already have Verrett. Would you rather have a solid block? I mean, because Phil Rivers is about to be gone. A solid, just mountain of a man at left tackle. Or would you rather have two shutdown corners that the Chargers could have? Are we starting a team here? Or are you Not starting a team. We're talking about the Chargers in general. The Chargers, the Chargers at three. Would you go offensive tackle to protect Phillip Rivers in his last couple of years? Or would you rather have... Because Verrett's a shutdown corner on one side. You can draft another one for the other side. I mean, in this scenario, I would take the corner... But at the same time, I mean, if you were looking at it, any of the other teams, that's why I think you should take an offensive tackle while it might not be a sexy pick. You take them one or two because even if you have maybe a mediocre quarterback back there, he's going to give him enough time what to was, make him look better and keep him alive. Was that two or three years ago that four of the top five players were offensive tackles when Lane Johnson, Fisher, all those guys yeah. went? It's, and it's because teams are smart. It's... I mean, Alex Smith has looked great in Kansas City with Fisher as his tackle. Dude, Eric Fisher grades out as one of the worst offensive tackles there is. He doesn't even play. He's like, they have somebody else that plays over him. But I get what you're saying. But, um, Frankie, would you rather have a shutdown corner to go with beside your other shutdown corner or just a mountain of a man at left tackle? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think 
honestly, it's so hard to find a true shut a true shutdown corner, and especially in today's NFL. So if you can find one, which I'm not sure that there exactly is, but if you can find that, I would go with the corner. Uh, not to discredit the the tackle position because that's a big one too. You got to protect the quarterback, especially on his blind side. But um, just something about a true shutdown corner because we saw like we talked about. Maybe it was off the air, but I think we talked about it. like guys like uh, Namdi Asim or not Asimov, but was that who it was from the Raiders? We were talking about from the Raiders. Off yeah. the air, we talked about it, but you know, there's a lot of frauds out there and a lot of phonies at the cornerback position. So if you can find a true shutdown one, you gotta you gotta pounce on it. I like. I really agree with both your points. I think it's a coin flip, and both sides of the coin are good. Like yeah, having it's a tough shut, question. It's a tough question because shutdown corners are really hard to come by. But a great left tackle could solidify your offensive line, make your run game better, keep your quarterback healthy. Get your offense playing, and if you run the right scheme, you can hide some deficiencies at the cornerback position. Like the, what the Lions have going out there opposite of Slay was Sheen Mathis, and their defense was ranked like two that year. You know what I mean? So you can hide some stuff out there in the secondary if you have a good enough defensive line. Well, also that was because the Lions had pretty good safeties with uh, Glover Quinn over the top to kind of help cover for a corner who's lost a step and is trying to rely on his uh, wisdom we'll get to them over his skills. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Frank here, though, because the shutdown corner, I'm speaking specifically for my Madden drafting, which means nothing for actual NFL football, so this is kind of a fraudulent thing to say, but <laughs> you need a shutdown corner, someone with a shutdown corner, but you can't go wrong in this scenario. One more scenario like this before I move on to the Lions. At four, you're the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to cover this because Americans team, even though I think everybody at this table hates them. Do you think they should go up there and take four Zeke Elliott or... In this mock draft, Jalen Ramsey would fall from them. They'd finally have a shutdown corner. Their secondary was more porous than a piece of Swiss cheese last year. Who do you think the Cowboys should take? Zeke Elliott or uh, Jalen Ramsey? Shutdown corner, possible Hall of Fame running back. Frank? Sure. Um, you know, they got a stable of backs in, in, uh, in Dallas, but none of them are really that good in my well, mind. Well, they just signed Alfred Morris. and To my point, but, thank you. Yeah. I mean, DeMarco Murray ran good in that team. That team has an amazing offensive line, so you're gonna even if you have a mediocre running back, he's gonna put up above average numbers. Right. Yeah, I wasn't finished, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. But no, I think that uh, my answer. That's why I, only reason I say that, Tony, I wasn't being mean. I'm just saying because I was gonna pick Elliott. I think that with that line that you said, which is good, and that if they get him, um, you know, a lot of their offense is based on running. Then they'll, they'll obviously be throwing the ball to Dez and whatever Witten's got left to bring. But I think that putting Elliott on that team, I think Elliott's something special. But before man. you finish, the other option, because if Jalen Ramsey was gone, it would be between everybody Bosa. So let's go great D end. Bosa. I would pick Bosa. I thought you were just moving oh, him yeah, by. Yeah, I would take yeah, Bosa. No, I forgot to add him in the debate. So Bosa, Elliott, or Ramsey, you're taking Bosa there. I would there. take Bosa because I think he's a freak. But uh, I think Elliott would be you got a little, That's a little pep in your stuff, right? Yeah, Bosa's yeah. a freak. I, people were questioning him, and he's a kind of a, become a polarizing topic in the draft sports talk world. But uh, yeah, I We think need to deal good. with him in the Big Ten for the last three years. All this crap that he might have been played. That boy can flat out play the position of DN. He can just play. He's one of those players that just has it. He's you got, got a high motor. Mode, he's got it. He's a hard hitter. He just has... Just a lot of competitive. Uh, every bone in his body is competitive. We have wow. Frank on Bosa. Wow. Let's go. Okay. Let's go over to Tony. Oh, Tony, right. would you rather have the shutdown corner Ramsey if he's there, Zeke Elliott to solidify the backfield, or Joey Bosa to solidify the D line? I would also agree with Bosa, just because I, like I said, they have a good offensive line. I think you're going to be able to put up decent numbers running either way. And with that, I mean it. I think part of the reason people are saying Elliot is because 
Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Romo's collarbone. So if you have an actual running threat, maybe it keeps those defensive ends hesitating for a second before they kill him. And But at the same time, if you got a solid D end for the next, you know, five, seven years, I'd take him. You know, I, I really like where his head was Bosa because we had to play against him in the Big Ten, like I just, I literally just said. But, uh, you know, I would have never said running back here because I've always been a believer in, like, you can get Lacey went second round, Le'Veon Bell went second round. But Todd Gurley, yeah, the uh, Jets. Lacey. Oh, he's skinny again. Don't you worry about it. You come to Green Bay this season, don't you? You come to Green Bay. Don't give me. Boy! All right, so. He's looking like an 80s backup to get the starting job. All right, no Packer talk. All right, so. Oh, we'll be talking about the Packers later. Don't you worry. But uh, I'm going to take Zeke Elliott here, and specifically because of the success that Todd Gurley had in St. Louis last year. Like, the Jets passed on him because they thought he could get done with Chris Ivory, and I bet they're kicking themselves in the teeth for passing on him. Because this, I mean. Zeke Elliott can do everything at the running back position. He's explosive, and he can block. He has a highlight tape just of his blocks that he watches like every day. I read that in Sports Illustrated. The guy's a freak, and he's a, I think he's a generational talent at the running back position. And Bosa, honestly, is probably the same on the D-line. And I'm not getting into it now. And if you have a good D-line, it makes your secondary better, yada, yada, yada. But Zeke Elliott is going to go in the top 20. And with that line, because you see old school, the Mahlers up front, Zeke Elliott, Rimmer Hine for the next five to six years, that could alone get you in the playoffs, especially in the weak NFC East. And then when Romo finally cracks, never wins the Super Bowl, still sucks, screw you, Skip Bayless. I'll end it with this, Gerard, and I like, I like you getting on a roll here, and this is going to make a good fire for the next topic too. But um, either way, there's two, two things that are going to happen. Either the Cowboys are going to go 8-8 eight and eight like they always do, or they're going to barely squeak into the playoffs and this time, the ref won't blow the call, and the Lions will take them to pound town like they should have last time. This Only time. two options. Two options for the Cowboys. <laughs> I hate the Dallas Cowboys. You guys hate the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, I'm America's sure team, my ass. all agree you know what? I, hate the Cowboys. Detroit's America's First team. First of all, people. everybody got on the Cowboys bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Detroit ain't nobody's team. But uh, everybody got on the damn Cowboys God. bandwagon back when they were good with Emma Smith and Troy Aikman. Now you got freaking homeboy uh, LeBron James rapping. Oh, really? Because you didn't love Troy Aikman? I think Troy Aikman's one hell of a commentator. Have you seen his abs? He's got like an eight-pack. He's an old-ass man. Jeez. That's way All right, all, all, right. Right, all right, all right, all right. You actually think Troy Aikman's a good commentator. That is more important right like now, I'm babysitting sometimes. He, Jesus. <laughs> he cracks me up, man. I like my commentators. I, that's what commentators, I don't need them. They just tell me what I want them to make me laugh. I mean, yeah, he's great if you like to ridicule commentators. Yes, yeah, I'm saying. He's great material for us. Oh, my God. Like commentating, he is dreadful yeah that's what makes him so good Jeez. it's like duke you love to hate him him and joe buck oh that's a funny name though okay let's move on to the lions let's see what do you guys think i think you guys had this topic a while ago with the lions where do you see him going and if you have any specific players in mind this uh mock draft i'm looking at has him taking ryan kelly from alabama kevin dodd the dn from clemson or the offensive tackle from ohio state taylor decker didn't wasn't there also a D tackle Ashawn Robinson from Alabama? In oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I skipped over him because I didn't know how to pronounce his first name. Yeah, I would uh, take actually any of those four players because I think the Lions' two biggest areas of need right now are either their offensive or defensive line. I mean, the center pick. I'm not really a hundred percent. That'd probably be my last pick. There is the center, just because. He can play uh, either guard position, too, from my recollection. I've seen Alabama on the field blow up. But I just, I mean, I think if you're going to go offensive line, a tackle is a more pressing need. 
especially if you can kind of solidify two positions with a solid left if tackle you're gonna go, uh, by tackle, moving Reef to right. There's some that have Jack Conklin falling from Michigan State, just a hometown boy. Would you guys take Conklin on the Lions, Frank specifically, since I know you hate State but love the Lions? No, you know, I wouldn't. And it's not just because I I uh, dis- disdain for the, the State Michigan State team. But um, I just think Decker's better. You know, I really do. I, I think Decker's a better yeah. lineman. And if they're going to go Better that than way, giving up one sack in an entire three-year career, including facing Bosa and giving up zero facts to Joey, Joey Bosa in, like, four meetings. Was that your plug for the, just like, somehow making yourself feel better about Michigan State? Sure. I mean, I think Bosa had a bad game. That's a good plug there by you, though. Good work. But uh, if I had to pick between like, – like Tony said, I mean, all four of them are pretty suitable choices. But I think that I really have a gut feeling they're going to go with an offensive tackle. I hope it would be Decker. But um, you can't really go wrong. We talked earlier in a couple, like, I think it was episode four or five, uh, you know, if we're going to build something on this team, it would be the defense. So I wouldn't mind seeing a, a badass end out of Clemson, who always seems to produce them, go up with the yeah. Ziggy, which would be uh, really awesome. It's, I mean, some of the good ones probably we wouldn't be uh, down low enough to grab, but, I mean, there's just more and more freaks are being developed at the end position anytime. Kevin but Dodd I, really tore I wanted up. to throw in one guy, though, that I know they won't take because we would never take a corner, but you – I'm starting – after we talked about him, we were golfing about Apple from uh, from Ohio State. I know he's probably going to go in the top 20, like you mentioned. Over six feet, fast, can play. He can cover. He can play uh, both sides of the field. I'd love to have a uh, corner to play with Slay who's going to become, I think, an all-pro. They got Eli Apple pretty much anywhere from 15 to 30 in this. Yeah. So he'll probably be out there. Yeah, he'll be around. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just saying they're going to go with an offensive or defensive line. Hopefully Decker. Not the guy you plugged in, but uh, Apple's a guy to watch out for you gotta, for another team. I actually, the Apple thing is going to be good. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily an outstanding player, but if he does turn out to be good in the league, you have a, something in case Darius Slay wants too much money, you can let him walk and then draft another guy in the first round to replace right, him. Right, there'll be plenty thing. of Apples. I mean, that sounds funny when you say it, but there'll be plenty <laughs> of Apples in the near future. There's always guys like that that you just see yeah. coming around. Remember, there was rumors when we took, I think it was when we took Fairly, but there was rumors of us uh, taking... Uh, no, well, the guy from the Giants, Prince. Prince Amukun. You know, there was him. He turned Prince out to be okay. There's always guys like that. He's actually, yeah, draft. he's doing pretty good out there. He got better the... after he got tombstoned into that ice tub by, by JPP. Yeah. yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, for the Lions funny. personally, I think it's got to be offensive defensive lines because that's the fastest way to improve your team. Kevin Dodd, I think, out of the people listed here, like everybody makes Shaq Lawson out to be this beast. Shaq Lawson was getting gassed in the games. I started cramping up. You know who was just continuously plugging up against sacks? Making plays, and because you got a sack artist, an absolute Picasso, the sack position in freaking Ziggy Ansa. I'll give you guys that in the lines. He's a freaking beast. I well, thought he was going to be a bum. I'll thanks that. for that. I would love to have Ziggy Ansa on any team I'm starting. On the other end, you need to get down, get in the ter- trenches, guy who's going to mess shit up, and that's Kevin Dodd. And if you do that, it's going to make every part. You- they're not going to be able to get to the next level as easy. It'll make your linebackers better, and Levy's the truth at linebacker. So you got him back there, and then it'll give less time for them to get passes off. And quarterbacks are really going to fear the D- Detroit. The Minnesota Vikings had an absolute horrible secondary. Went 14-2 and in Brett Favre's last good year in the NFL because their offensive line with the Williams brothers and Jared Allen in his prime were so good. Kevin Dodd, I think, would be a perfect fit for this team. But I also like Eli Apple. And if they're going to go offensive line, that's smart too because they could arguably use four offensive linemen at this point. Well, like you said, we have Ziggy Ansah, which for me, if they went defensive line, I kind of prefer they went D-tackle. Because our D tackle, yeah, we have some on our team, but it's like Haloti Nada, who clearly, as we saw last year, is not anywhere close to his prime. And that's one thing where 
yeah, you can have two great rushing ends, but what are we going to do about the guys when they just want to run the ball up the middle? We're going to have Haloti Nada out there, like, gasping for air while the running back blows past him? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about one more team that are near and dear to all of our hearts. I know you guys all love them. The Packers, what should they go with? And I think it's got to be somewhere at the linebacker position. I think they need another linebacker out there so Clay can move back to outside or get an outside so Clay can stay at inside. They're deep in the secondary. But don't you like uh, Jake Ryan? Yeah, I do like Michigan. Jake Ryan, but I just can't play. I did want Jake Ryan to go to the Packers. It did happen, and he just couldn't play. They need another linebacker, and I'm just going to throw that in there. I know Frank probably hates the Packers. How do you feel? What do you think the Packers should take, Frank? Well, look, I, I usually would be funny here, but if you really want to do this, I'm going to be professional. Uh, we'll just consider them just another team uh, who we all hate. But, uh, you know, <laughs> go, look, the Packers Pack, have go. been under a lot of criticism uh, as of late. It, not so much as of late, but at the end of last season for their uh, ineptitude of utilizing free agents that are out there. They, they draft a lot of guys and... Uh, you know they they don't really bring anyone out, and I they think they draft and develop and don't sign free agents. I mean, exactly. You know, so uh, they really better get it right, whatever they do. I'll say that. And if you think uh, if you think they should go with linebacker, go ahead. I couldn't read what you just wrote down. That's a funny moment, though. But um, yeah, whatever they do, they better get it right because if this is the way they want to do it, you know, people are starting to get a little upset. You know, they, uh, Rogers has got that one title in 2010. Man, we did, we talked about it with the Wings earlier. What were you doing in 2010? Yeah. A lot of my dumbest things I've ever done were in 2010. I've hey, learned a lot hey, since. That was a great team, and I could they're wasting of, a they're wasting Nick a Collins best player. Hurt, they probably win another Super Bowl with that team. Nick Collins was a linchpin of that secondary. Micah Hyde's about to be that. I'm just they saying they need a good linebacker. It I was think. over a half decade ago, and they're just the thing. The way that they're operating isn't working. Only anymore. one team. Aaron Rodgers has a Super Bowl. What do you guys got here in Detroit? I see. I mentioned professionalism earlier, guys. This is what. Oh, I, he's attacking this, my see, team. This is why you can't talk about it on the show. I'm giving you real things. You're just saying they all. Oh, they went. To, we know the Lions didn't win these Super Bowls. We know that. It's already been covered. On a side note, the Pistons have already managed to squander a 12 to two lead and it's down to 15 to 10. But Tony, if you were the Packers, who would you take? Not not who you take. What position? Because we don't know who's going to be there. These mock drafts are actually stupid when you think about it. Because these players could go a lot higher, a lot lower than you think. Then all of a sudden, it's more. Better to predict a position, not a person. Uh, I would, as much as I hate to say it, I would go inside linebacker, like you said, because that team with Clay Matthews on the outside as a basically constant pass rusher is way better. And Clay Matthews is a beast at getting to the quarterback. But also, I mean, I think they could look offensive line just because of the yeah, their offensive line but, did look bad this last year, but they had a lot of injuries. Yeah, so, that, I mean, I was going to say with the injuries, that's where I'd probably say the other thing you you'd address the offensive because, line later uh, on to build the depth. You know, you, many fans wouldn't know this, but uh, Sitton, TJ Lang, and Picardi are all going to be up for contracts next year. So all of a sudden, if they're signing three offensive linemen, they can get one now developing. It would be a good idea to get somebody. And that would, so let one of them that would kind of fit their MO. On a side of, note, if TJ Lang does walk, watch for him to come from the Lions. He's a secret Lions fan. I follow his Twitter. He's a secret Lions fan. He appears on 97 on the ticket. Well, he's from the Detroit area. Yeah, he so. played at Eastern Michigan. That's way too long for the Packers talk, I think, and we're way up against it too. Guys. Okay, so let's, let's move on to one last NFL topic before we get on to Connor Mystic Mac McGregor. Uh, Josh Norman getting, just getting cut by the Panthers out of nowhere. How do you guys feel about it? Do you think it was a – let's – so we get through this quickly in timely fashion. Do you think it was a good idea for him to leave, and do you think he's going to do good at Washington? Tony? Uh, I'm not sure how well he'll do at Washington. 
But my first take on this is um, this better work out for the Carolina front office. Otherwise, everybody in that Carolina front office could be losing their jobs because you have a guy who you have franchise tagged, meaning you know you have him for next season. And you're just like, oh, we're taking away the franchise tag. He's now an unrestricted free agent. When he's franchise tag, yeah, he can say, like, oh, I'm going to hold out. Okay, you're not going to have him play. And then it makes the player look bad. When you don't have him play for you next year and your secondary is getting tore apart by opposing quarterbacks, it's all in that front office okay, now. Okay, I don't want ifs, some, if, ifs and coulds were fifths and whatever, we'd all be drunk. But do you think Carolina's t- secondary is going to get torn apart next year without Josh Norman? Yes. Okay, so let's look for it out there. Let's see if the freaking Panthers defense goes to shit. Frank, how do you feel about it? Do you think it was a good move by Carolina? Do you think it was a good move by Washington? Well, I don't claim to be a contract guy. I don't really know all the details, but I'll, I'll tell you this. He would have made $15 million. Yeah, I days. know that much. I know that. Okay. I'm just saying. Uh, I don't think it was a good move by them by any means, but you got to do what you got to do. So I think his heart was there. I think he would be a way better producer um, coming from a small college that he did. I think he'd be way more productive to stay as a Panther. All his boys are there. He's really good tight with Cam Newton after that fight they got into. I think he, uh, he's not going to do so hot in Washington. But at the same time, man, you, it's a business, and you've got to make your money. And players nowadays, you get two big contracts at most, sometimes three, but the third one's usually a lot of clauses and things like that. Uh, you got to go where the money is, and you're talking about a big difference in money. And some people say, oh, well, man, he's going to be making $10 million if he would have just stayed with the Panthers. Versus uh, I 15. think it was 14 with, with his... Uh, well, 10 million after tax or something like that. Okay, but, right. I'm just making a point. With these, oh, stay with the Panthers, you'd make 10 million, and then he goes to Washington and make 15 or 16. That's a big deal, you know, especially in a, in a long five-year five year contract deal. That's a big deal. You've got to go where the money is. So will he be as good as I think he would have been in Washington as he would have been with the Panthers and his home team? No. But at the same time, do I think it's a bad move by him? No. I think he's got to go with the money, but do I think the Panthers are going to be worse without him? Yeah. Dude, I think that every player in the league wants to know exactly what Josh Norman did to get released from his franchise tender because players hate being on the franchise tender. Everybody says, like, oh, you make $15 million, like, whatever. You ever had that's going to taxes 10% to your agent? You're at $5 million. I believe his contract gets $45 million guaranteed or whatever. At, yeah, and that's the big number in NFL is because the contracts are non-guaranteed, so it's all about that guaranteed money. So if you figure that's where if you have a horrible year and they cut you, you're still going to get. Well, the you asked the question though, Gerard. The, 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 the short answer is they weren't even close. The two that they weren't even the Norman and the Panthers weren't even close yeah. to a deal, and they didn't want that hanging over everyone's head. It wasn't close at all. I think you're, when you were on the money point, that was what I was trying to get yeah. to. Was that it? This just proves the NFL is all about the money. Josh Norman made a business decision, got himself cut. Now he got himself $45 million, which still he's going to have probably after taxes, you know, like, and paying his agent like $22 million instead of having like seven. That's enough money to live on. That's enough money for generations to live on. Whereas freaking Carolina knew they couldn't come to a long-term deal with him and thought to themselves, hey, at 30, we take that cornerback out of Clemson maybe. We take a cornerback there, and they're going to fit in our system. I think it was a good move for the player Josh Norman and a good move for the Panthers organizations, even though Tony thinks they're going to get shredded. I don't. I believe in the Panthers system. But, I mean, if they get shredded, though, then... Yeah, you're I, oh, you're right. They're going to get fired there. I agree with you there. But I think it was a bad move by Washington because Washington's done this with big-name free agents before. I think that one fat guy... What was his name? Um, Albert Hainsworth? Albert Hainsworth. Yeah, they're desperate. They always They're, they're desperate, them. so they made a splash, but it just seems... I mean, D'Angelo Hall's playing safety Dan for Snyder loves throwing money at people. He just loves throwing money. I think it's a bad move for them, but I think it's a great move for Josh Norman. I think it's a great move for Carolina, and I think it's another move that proves how much the NFL has become about money. Josh Norman clearly doesn't care about a championship because Washington's not that close, 
and Carolina literally was in the championship. Josh Norman got himself paid, and good for Josh Norman. Get your money. You can buy yourself a ring because you ain't going to ever win one. Let's move on. Okay, guys, we're back, RSF, and we have a big, big topic here. I, I think that it's the best for last here. Um, besides talking the wings, which is actually kind of depressing, this is the topic of the day. We saved it for the grand topic finale. Topic of the week, topic of the month. Topic of the week. Everyone's talking about this. Um, it all started with a, with a tweet. I was uh, dropped a sire. I was l- lifting weights with Gerard, and uh, you know I'm in mid-set, and he, he's like, oh, he's, this tweet came out, and Conor McGregor is retiring. And I'm like, no way. You know, I was just in disbelief. I just shrugged it off. And uh, gone, show you. And as up. as you know, we keep we keep working out, and these you know, it's more real. It's USA Today, Sports Illustrated, ESPN. All these sources started coming out, and it was a real tweet, and it led to this this spiraling down effect of all this drama to do with Connor and Dana White and UFC 200 and promotional deals and millions of dollars. Basically, in a nutshell, and our our resident UFC guy Tony's going to get into this a little bit too. But basically, yeah, I mean, um, kind of Connor didn't want to participate in a lot of the promotional uh, activities for UFC 200. He wanted to, you know, he, in his opinion, he put out a big statement. He had done enough of that already. He's made the company 400 million dollars. He wants to be on his own. That's the reason why he uh, lost to Diaz in the first place because he lost focus of his true training. He's in Iceland. Blah blah blah. And uh, he didn't want to show up. So Uncle Dana came along and said, all right, well, if you don't want to show up, then I'm going to pull you off the card. And now you got Nate Diaz, who he was scheduled to rematch, saying, well, if I'm not going to fight Conor, I'm just going to take a vacation. And now, you know, everyone just wants this fight to happen. But now Dana's officially said that it's not. And the fight that everyone wants to see, no one's going to see. And UFC 200 is... You know, set up to be such a huge event. It's supposed to be the biggest one ever. Like UFC 100 was considered an anomaly of the the game. Dan Henderson KOs yeah. Michael Bisping on the Fourth of July. We'll get to it, but yeah, I mean, just they're trying to top that stuff, and this is just record breaking numbers and millions and millions of dollars, and this is a big deal. It's it's trouble. There was already and who's headlining now without Ring Gregor's and those two girls? Well, uh, we know. no, that they haven't announced to the but like right now on the card, who would be headlining? They don't know. They really don't know. Um, Frankie Edgar and all. Yeah, all right now they said yeah, Aldo, Aldo and uh, Edgar. So basically, guys, we'll get into it. Sorry, I, but tr- there are I'm rumors. Give, it could be John I'm Jones. Trying give, I'm trying to give people the the broad perspective because a lot of people don't know about this. But um, basically, there's just a bunch of drama going on. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered. We all want to see Connor, but it doesn't look like we are at 200. Tony, just go on. We got. He wants to talk. He knows it all. So let let him let him all do right, it. Well. We all are bowing at you now, Tony. So. Here he is. Let's go, Tony. All right. So, yeah, like Frank was saying, I mean, Connor's coming off the his first loss as a fighter in the UFC. He's had a couple of losses earlier on in his career. But for him, he felt that part of the reason he lost was because he didn't get enough time to focus on training and he was doing all the promotional stuff. So he just wanted to tell the UFC, like, hey, I'll do, like, one big press conference and that's it. I just want to focus on my training. UFC is like, no, we pay you all this money, which, yeah, he's saying, like, I don't get paid to promote. Yeah, you get paid to promote, basically, because you promoted yourself to the point where you get a million-dollar purse in a losing fight. You're the first fighter to get a disclosed purse in the seven figures. And he got that in a loss. And typically, for UFC contracts, if you don't know how they work, it's, 
half your money is your show money. Yeah, you get. I am kind of our resident expert on UFC. Thank you, Gerard. But uh, so you get um, your show money, which is what you get no matter what. It's your money to show up. And then you get your win bonus, which is usually just doubling the money that you get for your show money. So that's looking like, I, I mean, I don't know what his contract was, but it probably would have been if he would have won that fight, he would have gotten $2 million. All right. Well, I have to disagree with them being paid to promote. Like, promotion is more of a self thing in the UFC. Dana White runs that thing almost like a dictator would run a country. And Conor McGregor on his whole way up, he's calling, I want my belt. Didn't he take the belt from Aldo after a fight, Frank? Didn't he run up and like, take his belt? during a press conference, a pre-fight conference. But he day. took his belt, right? Yeah. So this is who Conor McGregor said. He's done all his promotion. And I think he really did get lost in the promotion side of things. And now he really did. I was out of the UFC. I, didn't, I hadn't watched a UFC fight for years. And then I made one of our friends order. I watched the McGregor fight last night. I watched John Jones specifically because of what McGregor's done for the UFC. So Dana White owes him. And if he doesn't want to promote, if he's, if he's willing to do even one press conference, Dana White should say thank you because I'm probably not watching 200 unless he's on it. And I think McGregor has taken the right stand here. He lives in Ireland. He shouldn't have to fly to the United States to do the press conference. Bring the pressers to him if they have to. Skype him in or something. You have to fly the guy in. Dana White was just getting scared that Conor McGregor's getting too big for the sport and it's become about him instead of the sport. And Dana White's being a little bit baby, if you ask me. Okay. Well, I mean, Dana White's job is to protect the UFC. He's... You know, basically, the he's the president of the UFC. He's basically the equivalent of Roger Goodell. Yeah, but it's only fighting that's real now. It's only fighting anybody cares about. He doesn't protect shit. It's going to be a money-making business. I could run the UFC. Yeah, but it's the problem is is you risk that it becomes like boxing, where it becomes more about the fighter than the promotion, where then you got Mayweather just saying, like, oh, I want to fight this bum, I want to fight that bum, and he doesn't fight Manny Pacquiao until Manny Pacquiao's past his prime. Well, Manny Pacquiao wouldn't submit the blood testing, Hold but... Hold on. All right, just, Tony, you got a lot in there. I know I can see your wheels turning, and I love it. This is going to be good. But I, did you, I watched the press conference for the UFC 200, and Gerard, I think, is on to something, but I think he just laid it on a little too thick. I, I think he took it a little too far. But your head's in the right place. If you watch that press conference uh, about... 15 minutes in, Ariel Hawani, who's a MMA guy, cover. He actually was recently just fired. We'll get it. It doesn't matter. Well, he but just fired from doing UFC on Fox. Right. He still has like his main job, basically. Sure. Well, he came in as, a, as some kind of special fan because he was allowed to ask a series of questions. And they were good ones. And you, well, I mean, maybe we could post on the Facebook, maybe not. But basically, he came on there and put Dana White on the spot. He said, well, you know, he's asking, well, this is what the And now people. he doesn't get to work for Fox because of that. <laughs> okay. So he's asking some questions, and he's like, okay, well, if the people want it, and Connor wants it, and Nate wants it, then why? And if you watch Dana White, I've never seen this. I've watched a lot of his interviews, a lot of his uh, press conferences. He always is very confident and cocky in a good way because he's done a great job. But this time, if you really watch him, he looks trapped. He was stumbling his words. He, he looks like he really bleeped up on this one, in my opinion. Like Gerard said, I don't think you got to go run, fly, you know, have uh, Connor getting catered to like that. But at the same time, he put, he got he's promoting that fight with one tweet. You know, he made it a big fight with just that one tweet. And then while the conference was going on, he tweeted again uh, something in regards to making the four hundred million. Yeah, they all flew there, but they didn't make the company four million. He's just sitting at his place in Iceland making the fight even bigger with a couple clicks of a button. So I get you got to show up. I get you got to do that. But at the same time, he's promoting it and making this fight, and it's just more and more gate money and more and more there, money. There's a few times in sports where a player's <laughs> actually bigger than the sport. 
Wayne Gretzky was bigger than hockey. Michael Jordan being bigger than basketball. Conor McGregor was on his way to being bigger than the UFC. He called. He lost the fight to Diaz, and he called out a fight, a rematch with him. That's what he said he wanted. He says the only fight he was going to take instead of defending his title. He's the only person I know that got a title belt and doesn't just doesn't have to defend it. You know what I mean? The sport was getting too big, and Dana White got scared. He didn't like it. He, he didn't, didn't like, like that. it. And Watch that conference. I'm and so you, he I took this. You. He took this opportunity after what I heard from you, Fred. I think Dana White seriously took this opportunity to take Conor McGregor back a step. He said, you "Pretty much said, like, if you don't do things my way, you won't fight in the UFC. See how you like that." And I think this is going to be a standstill between two men who have a lot of pride, and Dana White is being the baby here. Conor McGregor is a fighter, not a promoter. His job I mean, title is fighter. For Dana White, this is something he had to do. Because I, I completely this, disagree. No, this has been. I a, couldn't get disagree more. This has been a long. T- this has been building slowly over time. You had the UFC signed the Reebok deal, which now we used to see. You know, Bad Boy, Sprawl, all these different companies were the guys' shorts companies, and then they had fifty sponsors on their shorts. They're their shorts. Now it's a Reebok. Yeah, I noticed that last night. And there's no sponsorships on them. Therefore, a lot of these fighters, they lost all the sponsorship money, which for some of these fighters, yeah, they're not challenging for a title, but they're popular fighters with the fans, so therefore they get a lot of good sponsorship deals. Now with the Reebok deal, you get paid out by where you are in the UFC rankings and where you're at on that fight card, whether you're on the undercard, on the FS1 prelims, or if you're on the pay-per-view main card. So what are you getting at? A lot of fighters lost a lot of money, which is why there's guys going to Bellator now so they can keep their sponsorship deals like Benson Henderson. And well, Benson Henderson was getting his ass beat. That's why he left. We're talking about the McGregor fight here, Tony. What, do you, what, what, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm saying is the UFC has basically been taking money out of fighters' pockets for so long to build their own money. So why does that, that make... Now you got Conor McGregor going after him going, pay me, I'm here to get my money. I'm the one putting my body and my health on. So the that line. makes it right for Dana White to say to take his money. I don't get. I, mean, I, don't, I don't get why you're no, saying I'm he has saying to do it. Because it's a problem for him as the leader of the promotion when a fighter is now bigger than your promotion. Well, it's making money oh, for the UFC. Though. I see what you're saying. He should be a baby because somebody did get bigger than his promotion. But like, but I don't think it's right for him to do right. it. Because he's been taking all this money out of fighter pockets. It seems like Tony's the only one who's on the side, quote-unquote, of Dana White. And answer the question. Is that, I know what you're saying. But picture yourself as Dana White, but you just be Dana White because you're our UFC expert. You're the Nista. So you got Nate Diaz sitting to your right, literally at the press conference. Nate Diaz is right here saying, I came to fight Conor McGregor. If I'm not, I'm going on vacation. You got McGregor, your other, your, the hottest commodity you have at the UFC, in Iceland tweeting saying, I made the company $400 million. I want to fight Diaz. Diaz wants to fight McGregor. McGregor wants to fight Diaz. Everyone that even gives a little ounce of anything about fighting, which is limited, wants to see the fight. And then you got Dana standing there stumbling over his words, looking like he's got to take a crap but can't leave. And, and he has no answer. All you hear is just stumbles. And he, I think he watched the conference again. I encourage everyone to watch it. YouTube it just UFC 200 press conference. He says it is what it is, which is one of the. I hate wait. He that said line. it is what it is. Dana but White says it is what it is. He says it at least ten times. And the press conference, the the clip I found was only thirty minutes long. He goes, uh, 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 "It is what it is. Uh, it is what it is. What it is about ten times. It is what it is. Is one of the most go to cop outs in sports talk that there is." And Dana White got trapped. Everyone wants to see the fight at UFC 200, the biggest event. Why can't they do it? I don't care about the Reebok or any of that. The fight should go on. 
It would make millions for everyone. And like you said, okay, well, if I'm Dana White and I'm sitting there with Nate Diaz next to me, I'd turn to him and be like, Nate, yeah, you want this fight? But how many times has your brother wanted to fight for our promotion and he can't and he doesn't fight for us because he wouldn't play the game and show up to press conferences so we were pulling him from cards and then he only came in at the last minute as an injury replacement. That has nothing to do with anything. I, it's the, I, I, I Diaz was sitting right there. He even said himself, he's like, I've been in trouble for this shit before. He's I like, think this li- stems from Tony's dislike of McGregor and his belief that he's not no, a true I, champion. I, There's I, no answer. It's not my dislike of McGregor. I'm just I'm just he asked me to play Dana White. But here's the thing. Dana White's been running along a thin line for a while with certain fighters can do what they want, certain fighters can't. Like, Ronda Rousey basically says, like, oh, I lost my belt. I'm not going to fight for a while because I'm going to go do some movies. And he goes, okay, that's cool. Rampage Jackson wanted to do some movies, and he was like, no, Rampage, you're under contract with us. You got to fight for us. I, the point Tony's the trying to make when sucked. he said Dana White had to do this, I don't think he's necessarily agreeing with Dana White. I think what Tony's trying to say was if he wants to keep his firm hold on the UFC, he has to do this to keep himself in total power. And Dana White, for some, I think Dana White views himself as like the heavyweight champion of the world for some reason. And like this is his way of saying he's better than McGregor. He's an ass. I agree. That's what yeah, I'm saying. But the way he's been running the UFC is he's been doing a great job of running the UFC and getting himself rich. Well, the but here's the here. problem: when you lose, when McGregor becomes bigger than the sport for him, then McGregor gets to call his shots. He can't. McGregor really... was already calling his shots. Yeah, Look, and that's the problem. That's think, why he kind of went, "Oh shit, this guy's too something. big for me." Do you agree with me that when Conor McGregor sat down with Dana White, Dana White probably said, "Like, let's not have you fight Diaz again right away. You can do that rematch later." That probably happened in the conversation. Yes, right? he wanted him to defend his belt. He wanted him to defend his belt, and Conor said, "I'm only gonna." Diaz and that I'm probably, that probably Diaz. pissed Dana White off, right? Yes. So then, come a couple weeks later, fucking after giving him the fight he wants, after all this crap, he fucking Connor calls me and goes, "Oh, by the way, I'm not doing the promoting." Do you just think that was the final straw? That was when Dana White said, "Fuck it, you're off the card. Fuck you. Get a move on." That's probably what happened, right? Yeah. Dana White is has a huge ego, and that's what happened. Is it probably became a. This guy's become so big, he's trying to call his own shots, and I don't want that to happen. So Frankie, I want to be the guy calling shots. Now that we got Tony to admit that Dana White has a huge ego, do you think that Dana White's ego is starting to ruin the UFC for you a little bit? Because you're like just this, a true fan. Tony's more of yeah, a, like, I get it. Like, into like reading about it. You're more of just like, you watch it, you just live and die by like the comments. If it's going to be like this, then I guess the answer would be yeah. I, that's, I'm going to say two things. The answer would be yeah, and because everyone wants to see it, including the fighters want to do it, and it's not happening. And he's always been about giving the people what they want. That's what I have to say about that, and you can respond to it in one sec. But the other thing I wanted to say about Dana and the ego thing is that uh, you know McGregor, there's going to be more. There's going to be more McGregors. It's going to happen again. So what? What then? You know what then? That's the issue. And no, the is, other, he's one Dana, sec, one sec. Dana's trying to keep fighters from becoming McGregor, where they're calling their shots. That's the thing. Is this the easiest guy- way would be to get him choked out then like Diaz just did then. If you, want, if you don't like him, then let him just have at him one more time, and then McGregor won't be a big draw anymore. He'll be a fraud. It'll be over with. McGregor's one loss away from nobody caring Seriously, about him. Seriously, one more time. And if he I gets know. choked out again, then he's, he's dead in the water like he called the featherweight division. Wait, wait a second. We might have some Do you think maybe this is Dana White's <coughs> way of protecting Conor McGregor by saying you're not going to fight Diaz now because he thinks that Diaz 
like he's gone into some press conference and pretty much or some room somewhere. Oh, you're digging with deep people, now. When they were just like, just so you know, Diaz is probably going to beat him again. McGregor's not going to be a draw. Maybe you should find a way to get well, him out of the fight. I mean, McGregor would still be a draw because he still has a featherweight title, and people are probably going to. Dude, tune if McGregor in. loses Diaz one more time. I'm catching the replay on ESPN. I'm not catching the live fight. He'd still be a draw, but not nearly as much. He'd still be a draw for yeah. the featherweight for the featherweight title. He'd just go back and say it wasn't my weight because they'd find a way to spin it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one like Frank said. You can spin it. Yeah, but fine. at the same time, I think this is bad. Like you're saying, you know, if McGregor's gone, is it bad for the UFC? Yes, because McGregor was the new big draw. GSP was a huge draw. Then he lost to Johnny Hendricks. Then there was the whole wait. GSP lost in his career? Or no, no. I don't, he he was out. He went to he was supposed to fight someone for the belt and he hurt himself. Oh yeah, GSP didn't. You're supposed lose. to be your expert, Tony. I'm sorry. Yeah, he got pissed got, about the Reebok no, deal, and that's I, why he quit. Yeah, right? he got pissed about the Reebok deal, and he quit. And I was thinking he lost, but no, he didn't lose. He was supposed to fight and got hurt, and then the Reebok deal. And the guy, I was thinking of somebody else who lost, and then I think. Can we all agree that we're upset that the fight's not happening? That we all kind of wanted to see the, the rematch? The whole world is. Yes, and that's, I mean, some of that's the bad job stuff I've heard is everybody's saying that, oh, there's rumors GSP's coming back. And for the UFC... If GSP isn't coming back for UFC 200, I don't know if you're going to do the pay per view buys that you were going to pay per view buys that you were going to do with McGregor. No way, not at all. A lot of people were throwing around different matchups. I'm like, you know, we were getting flooded with emails, you know, but they're throwing around these matchups. I'm like, I respond. I'm like, guys, that's a good matchup. This is UFC 200. This is not just some event. This is UFC 200. You throw McGregor out. This is bad for everyone. Well, now the big one is after John Jones won last night. Now they're talking about, oh well, if he's healthy and DC's healthy. They can headline 200. Yeah, as good as John We've Jones is. We've seen the that, fight yeah. before. It's fucking boring. It's going to be John Jones dominates DC again. And then hopefully he doesn't do a hit and run on another pregnant lady and have to give up his belt and sit out for a year. Thank you. Okay, we'll get to John Jones in a minute here. But I think if you're going to do it, if you're going to do this great UFC 200 card, the problem we were talking about last night with the UFC cards, normally when you buy it, like you're only buying it for the main event or two of the events. You want to make 200... 200 of the biggest deal. You're going to put Diaz and McGregor back as your headliner, right? You're going to have the girls fight for their belt. Then you want, you're going to want to also throw John Jones and DC on there, but early when people really aren't paying attention. You can't care. have four title fights on a card. All right, punt the brakes. I'm still okay, going. three title fights and then McGregor. What's my, Diaz, I haven't I even said a third title fight. I said DC, John Jones, the girls fight, and Diaz, Conor McGregor. You already got the interim, the interim featherweight title with uh, Aldo and Edgar Frankie. on there. Yep. Okay, yes, that was going to be my four, so I was going to get there. And you can put, you can have all the, you want to make the biggest event, you got to make it a big event. But all right, Paul, I want, I want, to, then, I want what, to throw one more thing by you too, though. Not having another title fight on a card for like four months. And then I got a picture to paint. All right, you yeah, you paint the picture in a minute. I just want to throw one thing by you guys, get your opinion on it, because I, I, I forgot about this until just now. But I think to, it kind of goes with the whole theme of what we were just talking about with the UFC and is, is McGregor becoming too big. I think that the UFC has uh, kind of been a ticking time bomb, man, where you re- it ha- it's never been the most popular thing. You don't hear about it that much, but it's becoming more and more with guys like McGregor, girls like Ron- Ronda Rousey. But you got to figure, there's good smack talk, and you find guys, diamonds in the rough, like McGregor, Chael Sonnen was good at it, but he never really backed it up quite as much as McGregor did up until last fight. But people that talk smack... Well, and you got McGre- re- or, uh, Sonnen had the benefit of uh, testosterone. Right, and good for him. But I'm saying... Uh, you know, all these guys are, these guys are providing good commentary, good smack talk. 
They're being really charismatic. They're doing good promotions. And they actually get into an octagon, a steel cage, and fight. And some of them are really good fights. And that's a huge deal. And I think it's just going to escalate and escalate more and more. Like I said, there's going to be more McGregor's. And I think Dana White's just kind of losing control of what he once loved and was doing so good at. But this is just the world we live in now with social media and guys getting more witty and fighting. People are talking shit and they go into the cage and fight. People are starting to realize this is pretty sweet and it's only going to get bigger. And I think Dana's going to have to adapt to it or else just sit in his rocker yeah, he's and got be like, old school because it's not going to fly. Well, I'm, yeah, like that was the thing. This is the new era. <laughs> Dana White, it used to be Damn it. because he did such a great job promoting the UFC. If you weren't fighting in the UFC... One of the questions you always get asked at press conferences, oh, you defended your belt for this organization. Any chance you might consider going to the UFC and fighting, you know, their champion? Because it was the UFC champion was considered way better than any other promotion's champion. It's still kind of that way, right? It's still, I mean, it's it's still, still the UFC. Kind of, you can't make still, any more money doing that anywhere else. It's still that way, but here's the thing. As more, as, I mean, there's already been several fighters who've won a Bellator, and there's a chance that more could go. And then, But here's the thing. It's if there is ever a competing organization. There's been so many attempts at it that if you can actually get a competing organization to the UFC, Dana White's in huge trouble. Yeah, well, you got that right. Jerry's right. got an Jerry's I got, got an erection about got, John Jones over here. He's just we're dying. Not, we're to not. Talk no, about no. John Jones is coming on. I want to paint a picture for you guys real quick. You can call me a conspiracy theorist. Maybe poke a couple holes in afterwards. But both. this is what I have about my personal thoughts on this UFC 200 things with McGregor and Diaz. Sports is almost sometimes more about the narrative than it is about the actual performance. The build of the Super Bowl can be greater than the actual Super Bowl itself. In this instance, McGregor's been a golden goose shitting just bricks of gold for the last. Like two years for the UFC. He's brought great popularity to the sport, and then he just got beat. So maybe him and Dana are actually friends. They portray this whole thing. He calls up Dana. He goes, hey, man, like I really can't promote shit. And Dana's like, you know what, bro? I get it. You train. I got you. They come up with a plan. He tweets out, I'm retiring, before any crap comes out about the promotion stuff. The first thing we hear is McGregor's retiring, which is a complete joke. That gets a buzz. We get 70,000 retweets, 200,000 favorites. So now we're talking about McGregor again. Out of nowhere, we're talking about McGregor. And why? This retiring tweet. Then we get a look into the story, quotation marks, and all of a sudden you hear that he doesn't want to promote a fight anymore and Dana White's cutting him. Well, isn't, aren't we de facto promoting the fight right now by talking about it? Without them having to spend a dollar, without McGregor make, with one tweet and one statement, McGregor's launched 1,000 more tweets. You know what I mean? This could all just be a setup, and then Dana White's going to be like, all right, we're going to do the fight. And it's promotion by not promoting, and it's actually really clever if you think about it. Uh, I mean, I don't think they would plan something out like that, but yeah, it that's is too far promoting for you? the fight. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I caught because guess a little what? bit of logic in that. I thought a lot of it was conjecture, but... Uh, I mean, good for you with the conspiracy theories, man. That's that's a little much. I, you've always been I, good I at writing stories. I mean, you're <laughs> gonna get just as many retweets and likes when the UFC posts the video. Quite an imagination, of Conor you got, McGregor, Gerard. just sitting there at a press yeah, conference, no, talking mad shit. I agree with that, but let me freaking say, I'm saying that Conor said I don't want to promote this, so immediately they had to change their focus and come out with a whole new promotional strategy. You know what I mean? I'm saying he does. He he originally said I don't want to promote this. Dana, what should we do? And Dana was like, I got you. I have a way to do it. Because tell me we're promoting a fight that's not happening right now. We're talking about Diaz McGregor, and it's literally we're not lobbying. happening. We're lobbying. We're lobbying for the fight while also promoting a fight that's not scheduled to happen. Yeah, well, it should be. You I can mean, see how there could be a little bit of the conspiracy theory there. A little JFK guy in the fucking hill. 
I mean, yeah, it could work out like that, but I, that's just it doesn't make sense to plan something like that, especially oh, I agree. when Dana White did. is sitting there going, fuck me. I already got Rhonda telling me I'm not fighting because I'm doing movies, and I let her do that. I got GSP who is like, uh, I ain't coming back unless you pay me shit tons of money because I lost all the sponsorship money because I was sponsored by Nike, and now you got Reebok. And you also got Connor now saying, well, I don't want to promote. And then what happens? You don't let Connor promote. Now all these other fighters don't want to promote. Then how are you going to fucking sell pay-per-views? All right. One quick thing, because we got to keep it moving, people. It's a fighter's job to fight. It's Dana's job to promote. These Dana just has gotten lucky that he's had guys like Chael Stone, like Frank said, even about the testosterone. And Connor McGregor, they're promotion machines. And it's not like he's training them on what to do. You know, these guys are literally just going out there running their mouths. And it's funny. It's honestly some of the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. And it's, it's, he's just gotten lucky. And then he's a, being a baby right now. So either he's being a baby or my conspiracy theory holds true. Any more thoughts for you guys before we move on to final point? And then, then we got to move on. Final point for me is you're right. What you just said was actually the, probably the best thing you've said in this whole segment. But um, seriously. But, um, you know, Dana, if he's going to be the – if you know, take his ego and flip it. If he wants to be the alpha ego dominant guy. In Put the him UFC, in the ring. Lord of the Ring, if he wants to be that guy, he should just say, okay, I'm just going to start doing it like it is. Connor, you make a bunch of money. He's already given um, – forget leeway. Just say, all right, you know what? Connor, he's bringing in more money. He's better at shit-talking than you because a lot of these guys try to do the shit-talking. They just suck at it. You know, you yeah, there's nothing comedy. worse. Than Some of this yeah, trash yeah. talk is just bad. We can all agree He's good that. at it. Yeah. He makes the money. You know what? The fight's going on. You guys suck. And if you don't like it, go find some other place to go because there's nowhere else you're going to make more money than in the UFC fight unless you go somewhere – crazy underground that we don't even know about and it's impossible to make more money fighting than in the UFC so just be the just be the man if you want to be the man just take it even further there's no leeway for Connor just fucking just flat out give it to him just give it to everybody you got any more on this topic Tony I, I like what you just said friend thanks for the comment from me this is I'm not just saying it because you said it to me but that was a great just point give too give it to him well, be I mean, the man with what you're saying about it's Dana White's job to promote the fight but then here's the thing if he doesn't let Connor promote and other fighters decide that they don't want to promote because they want to focus on training then every fight card is going to be Dana like, oh, this is going to be a great fight. These guys really don't like each other. Okay, Dana just said that about the last five fights. We don't have two guys sitting up on stage talking shit to each other. All right, all right. Good well, point. And last, just, is no, UFC 200 going to consist with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz fighting? I pray to every bone in my body that it does, but I do not think it will. I think Dana White has way too big of an ego, unless my conspiracy theory holds true. Tony, your vote counts as two. What do you think? I'm going to say that... Do, do, do. Right, right now I'll say it, there's a chance that in the next week or two they make up and it works. If it if they don't make up in the next week or two, Madison, so yes or no? Are they fighting? It's going to be the headline of Madison Square Garden. That's what I'm thinking now. That's that's it. They're going to hold off on the Diaz McGregor rematch till Madison Square Garden in the fall. Right. Krasik, what do you think? You're chugging a beer in a locker room. You don't get an opinion. I don't think there's going to be a fight. Joey's gone. Jerry's got it hot for John Jones. He's about to lather it up. I got it hot for John Jones. I ain't lathering crap. But John Jones won a good fight last night. Be OSP, Olive St. Pierre, whatever. It wasn't the greatest fight. St. Peru? Yeah, whatever. Linebacker from Tennessee. Some scrub. He lasted all five rounds. Demetrius Johnson impressed me, though. He freaking KO'd somebody with a liver elbow. I've never seen that move before. Yeah, no. I seriously... That that Demetrius Johnson fight... Like the guy who was fighting was an Olympic uh, wrestler and everything. Gold medal, right? Yeah, he was a gold medal, but he didn't really stand a chance. And man. everybody was like, "This is pretty much like 
the last only, guy who can challenge the last guy who's challenged him because the, the next best guy in that division is pretty much Joe Joseph Benavidez. We've already seen lose either two or three times to Demetrius Johnson. It's like nobody can challenge him in that okay, division. Okay, so yeah, we only have an interesting kind of division here stale. with because he's obviously and the at best. the same time, Demetrius Johnson can't go up to one thirty-five because we've seen him at one thirty-five, and he's way too small, and he gets his ass kicked there. Okay, so Demetrius Johnson that we got is the best one twenty-five in the world. That's no debate for anybody, right? I yeah. It was a pretty sweet knockout to the liver last I'd night, right? Move on, Gerard. Okay, we're, we're moving on. We're moving. Last night they said he was the best power pound in the world. Do you agree or disagree with that? I disagree. I I disagree completely. I did disagree with. He's I disagree too because my small. man. That's just a stupid Johnny thing to Bones say. Jones is the best. If they didn't strip that title from him, he would have tied Silva last night for the most consecutive title defenses. And right now he's on the second longest streak for consecutive wins at thirteen. Nobody can beat John Jones. He's you just better. Than have, so, I mean, I don't care how good he is, man. You can't well, have a hundred twenty pound guy. Is, like you can't say that uh, he's the best pound for pound when we've seen him fight at one thirty five. And he gets his ass kicked. I wish that you would have been on a set last night so you could have said that to him. Because when he said that, I was just like, this guy cannot be the best pound for pound. But enough about Little Mighty Mouse. Please. Great knockout. Let's move on to John Jones. My main beef is, why the hell did they strip him of his title when he wasn't fighting? So he, who cares he got caught with cocaine? Just a little drug charge. Get a little hit and run. He hit and run a person. Okay, so you, okay, so you put him in jail. That's, he, his crime was... You can't just have a belt in, in jail, Gerard. Dude, why can't you have a belt this in jail? Advice. How are you going to keep your pants up? He was not fighting for a year, and this is what you, they do in the UFC. If you're going to be off for an extended period of time, and you're it's not going to be able to defend your title, you either have an interim championship or yeah, the title just straight up gets stripped from you. I don't disagree with the interim. I think they should add an interim title in his absence. What well, you think was you didn't know when he was coming he back. Was it was an indefinite cr- leave. We live in America. He could have literally a- gone to jail for it. Instead, he just got probation. Okay, he sat in jail for some time, and everybody knows you get he probation. He's a drug You're- addict criminal, Gerard. Okay, he's a drug addict and criminal, so let the court system take care of it and let the rehab system take care of the drug problem. They did. But in the meantime, he still well, wasn't really a drug addict. He you can't like to party. He said he was a drug addict. I'm just quoting the man. Well, yeah, he said he was a drug addict. I decided to just being like, I've hey, done cocaine a few times. He said he numbed and- reality with alcohol and marijuana. I'm just going by what the man said. Yo, know, I agree with that, and he did look a little more jacked last night without the booze and weed and Don't cocaine in his system, but he looked a little slow at oh, first. I mean, I definitely, like, I saw the, all the promo. Like, there was all these guys that are in Jackson's gym in New Mexico where he trains, like, posting fucking videos to Instagram and Twitter. And you could tell he was coming for... All right, well, we all are bowing at you now, Tony. So- <laughs> he, he was coming after that bow. He wants the belt back. What I'm saying is, as somebody was on a streak like him, and what was it? I just said 13, so at that point it was 12 consecutive victories. You say, John Jones is going to step away. We're going to have an interim title. You can have... DC should have an interim t- DC's last John Jones last fight he beat DC so you can't give DC his belt that's messed up it's a okay. messed up thing to do the, the real question I think Gerard is there's really no reason for you to be getting so worked up about it because do you, do you watch I was with you last night you watched that fight it's how- called PR right well you see how easily he won the quote unquote interim title that was the fluffiest fight I've seen oh, in that a was long a fluff time for sure. and that was for the interim so he's gonna go pound the guy down so yeah they did what was morally yes, right they had to find a fighter on a month's notice that could that was available in that division who was okay well who's gonna beat the point I'm making is who's gonna beat John Jones and yeah they stripped him of his title because he's a freaking criminal and doing drugs and hitting people with his car so they strip him and if he's that good which I think he is he's just gonna go win it back and everything's fine who cares about a well, streak in my, in my America you get a second <coughs> chance and they shouldn't have taken his title but yeah last night was definitely yeah, but a fluffer it, it was about fucking PR for the he UFC he was practicing I'm sick of all this PR and PC bullshit who 
Let the criminals court take care of him. Don't take his freaking belt. That's messed up. That's a messed up thing to do to a man. Well, because you got all the press going, well, he's a criminal and he's, you know, committing So put him in jail. There's cocaine in the car. What are you going to do, Dana? And Dana. You, you got to take the belt. Dana yeah. Pucker. Dana, Dana, Dana goes, can't pucker for Conor McGregor, but he can pucker when a black man's in jail. That's, that's, that's t- fucked up. It's a total different scenario. It's Yeah, but it's about looking good for the press because otherwise, look at fucking Greg Hardy. You're going to have the Greg Hardy situation, basically. Oh, the UFC is protecting a fighter who hit and run a pregnant woman. He reportedly had cocaine and marijuana in the car. But he's the champion, so put him on the game cover. You know, you can't do stuff like that, Gerard. You just got to protect your honor. Right? I wish guys. we could, but we don't live in that kind of world, man. Everyone's so sensitive nowadays, that damn we're, human society. We're also not as famous as John Jones, as much as we wish we were. I don't wish I was that famous. A side man. note, I think John. I don't even like. I don't like the way he talks. Or I don't, I'm not a big John Jones. Yeah, fan. you know what? It, when he was first coming up, I liked him because he knocked out Ruin. I hate Brazilian fighters. So uh, just because they're general cockiness towards the world. Ooh, uh, whatever. See, I don't care. But uh, got a lot of stuff now he was. Just, and it seems like well, I came out, man. Like I could fight for two more rounds physically, but mentally, I was like, whoa, I'm kind of getting my ass beat. You know, it's like, dude, you were out there practicing. Dude, it was man. honestly looked like a sparring partner thing last night. Like it was almost like it, it was, was scripted, and it was almost like they pretty much picked someone that they knew. Like just there wouldn't be because most people thought Diaz was gonna lose to McGregor, so Dana White didn't want to have his only other cash cow get choked out last night. So they didn't even give him a tough fight. They gave him an easy fight. I know it was a couple weeks' notice, but they could have found a better fighter than that. Although, I mean, honestly, it was good to see him crawl into the ring. That was kind of like got my bones going. To see him fight DC again, because DC, not me. That's a big boy, man. I don't, I don't know how the hell he gets on the two hundred five. He looks like he ate a two hundred five pounder. Well, he did start out as a heavyweight, and I mean, if he cut the fat, he could probably be a middleweight. But it's one of those where, yeah, I mean, it's you know everybody's hyping this DC John Jones. All right, so you guys think his belt should have been gone? Yeah, I think his belt, right, think his belt should have been there. Do we have any more thoughts on UFC 200 or US 197 before we start our Tigers two minutes? Uh, I'm worn out. What a way to end it. It's going to really right. put me to sleep. <laughs> hey, well, right. Tigers two minutes. I went to the game today. They lost. Pump they the brakes. So we're starting the Tigers two, two minutes. minutes. Ding, ding, ding. There two minutes go. starts hey. now. 940 exactly. We're two seconds in. The first thing I'd like to say, we got some fan response on uh, why we're only doing two minutes on the Tigers and the Detroit's hometown team. I'd like to quickly say, like, not only is it 162 games, like we said last week, and it's like hard to like really predict things from here. Another thing is, none of us are avid baseball fans. Like, we watch games, we go to games, but we don't study the intricacies of baseball. And instead of being like most sportscasters and talking bullshit about stuff we don't know, we want to talk about stuff we do know. So we're gonna give you what we do know about the Tigers in these two minutes, and nothing that we don't. So Tony went to the game today. How'd they look? Um. Well, they didn't have Upton or Cabrera in the lineup. Cabrera did come in as a pinch hitter. When the bases were loaded in the bottom of the eighth, and he popped out into foul territory, unfortunately, and stopped that rally when we could have uh, taken a one-run lead if he would have hit a grand slam. Wow. But, I mean, Shane Green left the game early. They were saying it was because he had a blister on his middle finger. Uh, I did see the injury to the pitcher for Cleveland. I mean, I was way across the field because I was sitting out in – the outfield seats, but you saw him run over to cover first, and you saw him trying to slide and go down, and then uh, he had two guys carrying him off the field, so he definitely has a leg injury. So the Tigers look kind of crappy. Well, last time we talked to you, the Tigers were 7-4. They're now 8-9, meaning they've gone 
five in their last six games, so that's not good. Yeah, they've, they've had a really rough week. On to the point that those two guys weren't there, I think it's really crappy. I think it was called Kids Opening Day today, and they pulled two of the big stars from the Tigers. Yeah. we got 25 seconds left. Frank, would well, you like to interject anything on this situation? No, I'll just, just for more of a public service to the people, I'd like the point you made. We really don't have a baseball guy here. It's not that we're trying to neglect him. You're right, and... Honestly, uh, you know, when fun things happen with them, we'll bring it up. We'll talk about it more yeah, than two trades, minutes. Yeah, stuff but like that. For the most part, guys, we'll just keep you informed. But, I mean, if you want to know about the Tigers, there's plenty of places you can do that. We're just going to talk about the stuff that we're experts on, like hockey and MMA and all that. And that's our t- Tigers two minutes. Tony pays the bills. Frank and I are going to work out our arms. Because biceps get you. What, what's, that, what's that saying about biceps, Frankie? I'm not sure which one you're referring to, man. But we're about to go shut our arms for beach season. Then we're going to be rolling in it. <laughs> He means rolling in butter, specifically. Yeah, right. Okay. But so, thank you for listening to another episode of the Revolutionary Sports Front Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash revolutionary sports front. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash RSF podcast, which uh, Jerry finally posted a tweet from the Twitter account when I gave him the login. Of course, it was just RIP to the competition there, so... Hopefully we'll get him to work on his Twitter game a little bit. And then uh, we got the website, of course, is revolutionarysportsfront.com. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher, which are apps for your phone. And you can leave us reviews and ratings there to let us know how we're doing. You can leave us the comments on the Facebook page to let us know how we're doing. Or, of course, you can uh, email us directly at revolutionarysportsfront at gmail.com. So thank you for downloading, listening, and subscribing. And thank you for being a part of the sports revolution. Hey, Joey's coming into town next week. He's going to be here all for us for the show. It's going to be awesome. You better listen to episode 13. It's going to be the best yet. Let's go, bitches. We out. All right. And thank you for listening to that episode. But like we promised in the episode, I'm here with Joe to do a little follow-up here and get his thoughts on the wings and everything that we saw that went down with them as they uh, got bounced out of the playoffs. Joe, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Tony? Man, it's uh, sorry, guys, I had to miss the show, but you know how uh, you know how things are. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit busy, uh, time and time again. But hey, I'm here, guys, and uh, I'm going to talk wings with you. As you know, I'm, I'm a big wings guy, um, and I just want to kind of rewind the clock here a little bit and kind of go back to when we first started the show. I think we started the show about a month prior to the uh, NHL trade deadline. And uh, if you remember, Tony, I was, I was pretty adamant about the Red Wings uh, either making a move or, or kind of breaking down the tent a little bit and, and, and going for a draft pick. Uh, I'm sure you remember, like, you know, some of the scenarios I came up with. Yeah, I mean, you definitely, you were talking trade. I know you really wanted to get rid of Nyquist. And you were like, get P.K. Subban, he's on the trade block. Get uh, Nugent Hopkins from... The Oilers, if he's available, yep. you know we gotta we gotta make a big move, get a big name, or move some of our bigger names and get some higher draft picks from these teams. Especially because yep. I mean Edmonton was the team you're talking about because they were gonna get another high draft pick this year. So either get one of their young guys or try and get their draft pick off of them. And now we're sitting here and they did none of that and we got bounced in the first round. And Pavel's probably not gonna be back next year. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, you know, I was, I was sitting in my car this morning. I had a little bit of time to kill. Uh, I got to work a little bit early, 
And uh, I was just kind of looking. Uh, I, I got curious. And I was looking through Edmonton's uh, roster, and and man, oh man! I mean, half half of their forwards were top three picks, and most of them first overall picks. And the question is, how are they, how are they going to pay those guys uh, two or three years down the road? Especially with uh, Connor McDavid there now, they got another top pick coming. Um, you know, the future of that team is Connor McDavid. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The way he played his rookie year, he missed most of the season. Uh, with a with a fractured collarbone and still put up impressive numbers and uh, they're gonna be looking to move some of those guys and we're in the Eastern Conference now so so why not why not to the Red Wings uh, we're only gonna play them twice a year we're not gonna affect them until say the uh, the Stanley Cup final if uh, either team even makes it there so you know the chances of playing Edmonton in the final are very low um, I know they're trying to build something there they're trying to win but they're they're developing a pretty uh, hefty selection uh, of future. Uh, Future expenses um, is, is the best way I could probably put it. But you know, you know, the the wings right now, uh, overall tone, I, you know, they created themselves a huge, huge mess. Uh, move after move, Holland's made. Um, they they just haven't either worked out or, or they're just very, very poorly, poorly uh, made decisions. And now, now you're dealing with a situation where we have Datsuk's contract on our on our books for next season with a lower salary cap. Granted, it's only a couple million, but I mean. You know, it, it starts to add up after a little bit. We dump night. I think it's seven point five million for Datsuk next year. Yep. Yeah. We we uh that, that's the cap hit for next year on Datsuk, and uh, I mean that that's just gonna hurt. I mean you got to find a way to get rid of that. I think I think Holland's got a big mess he needs to clean up. I, th- I think you need to start kind of cleaning house, if you will. Uh, there's some bigger contracts on this team that don't need to be around anymore. They're not doing anything to help us. I go back to Nyquist. He, this season, I think was a was a just an overall a huge disaster. He carries a decently hefty contract, and in the playoffs, uh, the last couple of years, the guy just disappears. He's too small. Uh, you see him in the corners, and he gets he gets shoved off the puck. He gets rubbed off the puck. We need a good big forward that can uh, that can take that kind of abuse, or, or a guy that can finish. He had multiple chances, and uh, chance after chance, uh, he only capitalized on one of them, and uh, and we ended up losing the game. So with, with that, you also have Howard carries about five and a half million dollar contract. Um, Howard can be moved. He's a he's a he's a good average goalie at best. Um, he you know people want to say he came in and kind of saved us. I, honestly, I think he came in and just was was healthy versus Mrazek who was hurt because after Mrazek had some time off, uh, he stepped right into game three and uh, game four and five. I thought he played pretty well. Uh, that goal in game five was kind of a fluky goal, and the goals uh, the goals in game four. I mean, there's only so much a goalie can do when you let the other team pass it across the ice about 50 times. So, uh, you know, Mrazek is the future in net. Um, Larkin's the future up and forward, and you need to build around those those guys. Um, luckily, we're letting we're gonna let some guys walk. Hopefully, Quincy walks. Uh, Richard's gonna walk. I think Darren Hell's time is uh, is nearly up, as well as Joachim Anderson. Um, and I think there's a couple other guys that we can move. And with that said, we got some guys that we can trade as well. You know, I mentioned Howard Nyquist, Polkinen. We could we could move. He uh, he couldn't crack the lineup all year. We actually brought Mantha up for goal scoring assistance before we even considered him. Who was a guy who was practicing with the team already all year. But uh, I, I think Mantha Mantha is definitely the future up and forward uh, for someone to bring up. And, and at the end of the day, um, I, I think we need to do whatever it takes and, and make a strong stab and a strong attempt. At signing Steven Stamkos, um, the guy is not signed yet. It looks like he's going to test the free agent market. Uh, he would have signed a contract extension by now had he wanted to stay in Tampa Bay. Uh, I know he's got the injury in the playoff going out, a lot of distractions. 
They might not talk contracts until Tampa Bay gets eliminated um, or, or wins it all. But, uh, at, at the, you know, I, I really think um, Steven Stankos is going to hit the market. They say, they say Toronto's a big suitor for him. Uh, I would disagree. I think the Red Wings are better for him with that to guy the picture. Uh, you know, that it could be Stankos' team. Zetterberg's aging. He'd still be the captain, but Stankos could come in. And I think he, he would take the helm right from uh, Zetterberg right after Zetterberg left. Um, and, then, and then when you, when you look at, uh, when you look at uh, the, the system of the Red Wings, uh, I think the system needs to improve too. Uh, you know, Blashill came in uh, this year with a system, and, uh, and he, needs to, he needs to make it more advanced next year. I think, I think he needs to step it up a little bit in the coaching department. He lost Tony Granado to, uh, to go coach at University of Wisconsin. But I think uh, I think I think this next hire an assistant coach, um, you know, to coach the defense and the penalty kill is going to be a huge, huge hire. He needs to take his time, be systematic about it, uh, pay attention to the details, and get a good coach. I think I think one thing this year with his system is that it was simplified because it was a new system, and that he uh, and that he you know he didn't want to implement like you know his full system right away. Uh, that could that could be true. That's just a theory I have. Um, but he, he needs to definitely change some things. I, I thought I thought we had a five on three in uh, game five there. That, that that five on three was way way too uh, way too predictable, way too simple. There's too much talent on that ice to be trying to do some some simple vanilla um, power play formation on a five on three in a in a must win game. Um, so Blashill needs to step it up. I think I think he needs to start working these guys. He doesn't have any distractions this summer taking over the helm. You know, all the crazy interviews about him taking over for Babcock and how he looks like Babcock, talks like Babcock. Uh, that, that's all out the window now. So it's his team. He's got a year to review, um, you know, make some make some tweaks here and there. And uh, and really he needs to work on the consistency of the team. I think that, that that's obviously the, the biggest issue. And the, the final issue is I said it all year. In the last five minutes of every game, there's a lot of games. This past season we were up by a goal. We're a much better hockey team during the regular season than we showed at the end. And uh, there are too many games we gave up at the end. Within five minutes, the other team would tie it. They needed to pull out a shootout victory or an overtime victory on the Red Wings. And if you, if you look in the last few years, um, the Red Wings have been terrible in the, in the OTL column on, on their record. They, they, need to, they need to stick with their game plan. They need to stay, stay aggressive and close out those games. And it comes with maturity and it comes with a, a good system and good coaching to keep the boys poisoned in the game. Um, and then, you know, to kind of close out, uh, you know, the real issue here is, is hockey talent's got to be growing restless, man. Uh, too many first round exits, um, for the fans liking, um, lately we're just kind of like edging ourselves in or backing ourselves into the playoff. Um, you know, it it seems like every season we get rolling, we're in a good position Then March we kind of tail off once everyone else kicks into fifth gear, we're still cruising in fourth gear. And then we decide to kind of kick it in fifth gear, but it's a little bit too late, but somehow we still make the playoff. And then uh, and then the first round, you know, we just don't have enough steam. And you can make the argument, sure, we lose to, to good teams. You know, one year we lost to Chicago in the second round. They won Stanley Cup. Uh, we lose to uh, a really good Boston team. And then we lost to Tampa Bay, you know, into the final and, and almost won a Stanley Cup. They, they, just, they just ran into that same Chicago team. So, um, you know, there's an argument to be made there, but at the, at the end of the day, Holland needs to make a move. He, he needs to make some big changes. He's got he's got some cleaning up to do. He's got some nasty contracts out there. You know, we all love Franzen for the way he used to perform. 
but it's, he's just not the same anymore. The guy's got the guy's got concussion issues. Uh, let him retire. Let him go. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of a lot of players that just need to be let go, um, and we we need to start you know bringing up some of that talent that's been that's been uh, been grooming in the in the minors, and we need to uh, we need to take a stab at some high high end talent that's already out there in the league, uh, because you know let's face it, this year we don't have that top draft pick, and you know if you want to trade for a draft pick, a higher pick, you know why not take our first round pick this year and a few guys, and uh, and go after a top three pick, but. You know, if if we don't if we don't do that in the next couple of years, uh, we're not going to make the playoffs anyways, and we're going to have to break down and rebuild the old-fashioned way, just like everybody else. So, uh, a lot of work to do this summer. Obviously, really disappointed with the outcome. Uh, a team that didn't have two of their best players, uh, we still bowed out to, and, and one of the third best player was even a little woozy at the end of the series. Uh, yeah, it was just a very very disappointing outing for the Red Wings in this playoff series, and we'll be talking about them all summer. We got some things going on, and, and I'm going to be keeping up with Grand Rapids. I'd still like to talk about Grand Rapids every week um, and, and keep us moving in that direction. So, uh, hey, with that, guys, thanks for thanks for uh, listening to a little extra bit. Uh, hopefully, big changes on the way for the Red Wings. I'm Joe Krasik with your Red Wings Extra on Revolutionary Sports Front RSF. All right, thanks for that, Joe. And I know you did talk about Holland there, and he definitely made some uh, comments today uh, in an interview when the Red Wings were cleaning out their lockers that we'll get into on the next episode. Also, uh, just a little tidbit here about Joe. Joe's written a few uh, fan posts for Winging It in Motown, the Red Wings blog on uh, SB Nation. So you can always go over there and check those out. Also, I have my first in a series of posts on Boys in Rouge, Boys in Rouge, which is the uh, Detroit City FC fan blog, so you can go see my first post there, and then I'll be posting there throughout the season. And thanks for listening to our little extra bit, and like we te- I said earlier, for the first time ever in the show's history, our next episode will have all four of us together in the same location, instead of Joe being Skyped in, so should be great. We're out of here.